0: You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door.
1: WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy Episode 606. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guys Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host captain, Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 15th of February, 2024. In today's episode, a fiery plane crash in Florida. And a firefighting helicopter dumps sewage on homes in Australia. Also ahead, more news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, see and avoid. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 606 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning
2: TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in
3: New York City.
2: Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a former U.S. Air Force undergraduate pilot training instructor, star pilot, retired 727-717, and Mad Dog captain for Delta Airlines, and... Joining me from his studio
3: in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire.
2: Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff.
4: Uh, It's great to be here on APG 606. Now, did you know Virginia State Route 606? goes around Washington, Dulles Airport, it used to be a regular haunt of mine, and the home of the Hazy Center. Wow,
2: I did not know that. <laughs> I'm full of it. <laughs> okay, well, also joining us from his home studio in West Georgia, current charter pilot, former 121 First Officer, and survey pilot, it's Stephen Ivy.
5: Hello, everyone. Good to see everybody. Thanks for letting me uh, join y'all this afternoon.
2: Uh, it's our pleasure, Stephen. And Brilliant. Also, last but not least, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper.
6: Hi, everybody. It's a stereotypically snowy day here in Toronto.
2: About Ooh, time, wow. Right.
6: I know. Now, have we've you had been
2: shoveling dir- your
4: snow off the walkway?
6: Well, not yet. I will later, but we've had a dearth of snow, so we're catching up.
2: <laughs> Dearthy snow. Mm. Speaking of all right, everybody, and dirges, have a good show. <laughs> let's move on with this show, and uh, we'll start off with some aviation news. Stand by for news. All right, we're going to start off with this first item. Let me set up some video. Get ready to play that. And uh, let's see here. This is from. About
6: this on the last show. Yeah, well, that's
2: right. Uh, Good point. We uh, Liz is mentioning that during our last show, toward the end, actually. Uh, while we were recording, I
3: haul, boxes. I
2: haul boxes in our live audience said, hey, there's something happening down in Naples, Florida right now. And we broke in with some breaking news. And we said, you know, we don't know much about this, but we're going to cover it on our next episode. So
6: that's, that's unusual, not here, unusual for you guys that we don't know much.
2: That's true. Thank you. <laughs> um, so here we are. We're discussing the show or the show. We're not discussing the show. We're discussing this news item, this tragedy Uh, down in Naples. And uh, let's start off with, well, let's see, I guess we should set it up a little bit. It involves a Bombardier uh, Challenger 604, a November 823 kilo delta, uh, operated by Hoppajet, a uh, charter outfit. And they were, they started off the day in, um, Pompano Beach or something like that, uh, Florida? I think
5: Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, like
2: okay. Uh, and then they went up to Columbus, Ohio, uh, the uh, University of Ohio. Uh, the, Ohio, Ohio State State University. Oh, of the Ohio State University. Oh, uh, the Ohio State University Airport. And then they flew from there down to Naples. Almost made it, but not quite, uh, sadly. Uh, we have some air traffic control audio that we'd like to uh, play, so let me cue that up right now and hit this right here
7: Apache jet 823 is with you on a right downwind for a five mile final uh runway 23 i'm
8: at 823 roger make the right turn back towards the airport release one departure ahead challenger jet runway 23 clear to land wind 22012 one six. all
7: right challenger jet departing we're turning back towards the airport and clear to land runway 23 3 a jet 823
8: Question five seventy four, runway two three, turn right, heading two seven zero. Clip, takeoff, traffic, three mile final, Challenger. Flux at
7: five seventy four. Uh, okay, uh, Challenger, uh at eight two three. Lost both engines, emergency. I'm making an emergency landing.
8: Whoever's got that emergency. Clear to land, runway 23, three. Is that Hopajet eight uh, twenty three? we're clear to land, but we're not going to
7: make the runway. Uh, we've lost both engines.
2: There's some uh, dash cam video.
7: 574 to hold
3: short.
7: On. Tower Shadow 5, we mm-hmm. right Shadow 5, there are two
8: northwest right over I 75. Hop it at that 823.
3: Uh. Everybody stand by. There's an alert 3 in progress. Everybody stand by.
9: Tower Shadow 5, rescue helicopter Request to go to the scene.
8: Shadow 5, proceed direct as requested. Okay, five seventy four 574, April Star runway 23, turn right, heading 270, Grip for takeoff. Reflective
7: 574, departure heading is 270, Surface for takeoff, runway 23. Naples Tower, 7-1-Fox Charlie, we've been orbiting out here to the east, uh, wait instructions.
8: instruction. 7-1-Fox Charlie, you can continue inbound for midfield, left down on of runway 23.
7: Midfield, uh, left down, 1-2-3, 7-1-Fox uh, Charlie.
2: Okay, there continuing to try to manage the traffic uh, going in and out of the uh, Naples executive Air- airport. I believe that's the name of it. Um, and uh, we saw some dash cam video from a um, a truck, a trucker, and it uh, was pretty, pretty impressive footage there. We see the Challenger coming down for the last few seconds of its flight and it looks like if they were just just able to, you know, uh, get the vector um, uh, more aligned with the runway, they they may have actually had a chance to to make it. Um, but you know, you're you're on a you're trying to land on a interstate highway with a lot of traffic, and you know, they there's it, just luck, I think, to you know to make it in this kind of a situation, but. Uh, Anyway, so the thing that's perplexing about this, wow, you know, you don't hear very often uh, instances of airplanes, twin-engine airplanes, losing both engines at the same time. That is very, very unusual. And, and uh, I, I was thinking, you know, we should probably have somebody on the show who has some experience flying uh, this type of an airplane. Uh, you flew the commercial version, um, Stephen, uh, yeah, that's
5: right. I, I flew the CRJ, which is a stretch, stretch, stretched version of the um, 604 Series Challenger. Um, so it, the actual systems and stuff are very similar to um, the plane here. Um, and I, I, I'll i be honest, I, I've talked to a couple different guys, and we're all scratching our heads what m- might have happened. Um, you know, it, but most jet engines or any jet aircraft, your main source of moving fuels through motive flow. So, um, and then, you know, your backups, your two, uh, you know, your engine driven pumps like that. Um, I, I recall when um, I was on the CRJ, you could actually start your engines without having the fuel pumps engaged just based on rotation. It would run just fine without them. So hmm. I'm not too sure what might've caused this. I, I, a lot of the people I've been discussing it with seem to think it might've been, a fuel contamination issue, but I mean, we don't know that yet. And I mean, I don't know really what else it could have been to have caused both engines to go out that low to the ground and everything.
2: One uh, Brown on the Blockerio channel was uh, talking about the um, the fuel system and. Uh, it's a kind of an unusual setup where they have a, what is it called, a collector yep. box or something like that? Yeah, you have a
5: collector tank a collector inside tank. that is fed from both wings into the collector tank, and then it draws from the collector tank to feed both engines.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah so. I uh, did neglect to mention that uh, there were five people on board uh, the aircraft and uh, the two pilots uh, passed away. They they died in the incident, and the two passengers and flight attendant that was on board of this uh, aircraft uh, managed to escape uh, without uh, injury. And I'm going to try to play this, Liz, if you don't mind. Um, I have some uh, video here that shows uh, the passengers um, leaving the aircraft shortly after it came to a stop. <laughs> Okay, so that uh, is some witness eyewitness footage and uh, querying about uh, if there was anybody else on board the aircraft. The interesting thing about this, I was reading on one of the um, pilot forums, uh, they said that, or maybe it was somewhere else, but they said that it was uh, quite almost um, almost a miracle, really. I mean, it was a good thing that the uh, flight attendant was there to help guide these two passengers. And apparently what she did was, or what they did uh, with her help, they went back through the uh, aft lavatory. And then there's a door on the other side, the aft side of the lavatory, where they can go into the um, the baggage area, the baggage compartment. And then, uh, apparently, there's an... Yeah, you can go ahead throw, throw that one. Yeah, blue. yeah,
5: I was just going to say, um, I know I don't know about that particular one, but obviously it is. But um, the 300 series that I flew for a little while, you can access the cargo compartment from inside uh, the cabin. And there's an interior handle where you can open and close the cargo door. And, and in this case, use it as an exit, as which is what they did, which right. is a lot lower to the ground in that case. Because... Um, if you look at the way the aircraft came to rest even if you open or were open opening the main cabin door it would probably still be off the ground a pretty good bit
2: there we go thank you okay so that that's not the actual uh, accident aircraft but it's one just like it and the reason why i chose this image was that it i it was a good enough image that you could see where that external door is for the baggage compartment. It looked, Stephen, I don't know uh, if you know that much about the private versions of the 604, but it looks like some of them don't have this door. Uh, But I could be wrong about that, or maybe it's just painted so well that it just disappears. They've all
5: got that cargo door, but it's really hard to spot with the way the engine sets and everything. If you're just walking by on the ramp, you probably wouldn't notice it.
2: Okay, yeah, it's right below the left uh, engine nacelle. Um, and, uh, and as a, as I was saying, or somebody was saying that I was reading, uh, that it was really great because that flight attendant knew that that was a way to get out of the aircraft wow. in an emergency. Yeah. And if it had not been for that, uh, they, they probably would have perished as well. That's yeah, no, that
5: was the, a really smart thing to think of and use mm-hmm. and very quick thinking
2: yeah. by her. Uh Greg Peterson in our live audience says, if it was fuel contamination, wouldn't something have shown up sooner since they had flown all the way from Columbus, Ohio?
5: Well, I mean, I, you know, a good example of that would have been that British Airways 777 that made it a couple hundred yards off of the runway at Heathrow that had the ice contamination issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happened to them just at the end, too. So,
2: yeah. Um, Let's see. Isle Boxes says, cars just continuing like, doesn't seem like anyone needs help here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I uh, haul boxes. There, you know, people have things to do. Come on, you can't let something like this bother Just keep you. Going. you keep Going, contaminate
5: all the debris. It's fine. Um,
2: that was not the. Uh, a super stew is asking if that was the airport perimeter fence, and uh, no, they were. They were about yeah two and a half three miles or so uh, off the off the extended center line. Now there were some uh, in uh, the professional pilots um, rumors. Forum, somebody was saying, kind of, kind of looked like he was shooting for uh, a golf course that was just on the other side of that sound um, barrier wall, um, and then finally realized it probably wasn't going to make it over that wall, and then just kind of jinked and tried to land on the freeway. I'm not sure if that's the case or not because I look, I did look at the at that uh, particular golf course, and it's not like it was a huge area of open spaces. I mean, there were,
3: yeah, I'm, I'm,
5: I'm just looking at on. Google Maps, there's actually Mm -hmm. a bunch of houses right there, which is probably what he saw. Probably Mm -hmm. what he was like, maybe I shouldn't put it down there.
2: Yeah, could be. It's really hard to know. Sadly, we're not going to know because uh, he he, or both of them passed away.
6: They were two older pilots, right? They were two older
2: pilots, yes. I think one in the 50s and one in uh, about the same age I am. Uh, who uh, was oh, a uh, former airline? Yeah, thank you, Liz. She goes, "That's old." Uh, former, uh, airline pilot and a, uh, former airline pilot and apparently well-regarded former airline pilot. And
6: yes, I boxes agrees. There's a lot of housing. Yeah, a that. lot of housing
2: on that uh, course. Yeah, thank you, I Hall. Um, so, uh, so we have the uh, the cause. We're not sure. We're hoping that the preliminary report will come out soon, and when it does, we'll cover it here on the show and. And uh, see what they've come up with um, as far as the cause of the two engines. You know, because it doesn't seem to be any concern whatsoever. At least in their voices, there was no concern about you know asking for priority handling. It was all of a sudden, hey, you're cleared to land. You know, turn your five mile base, and oh yeah, we're not going to make it. We've lost both engines.
5: Yeah, that they were extremely calm, and you know, there wasn't anything chiming in the background either.
2: Oh, that yeah, would have that's that's true. It
5: indicated anything major was wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I, if I remember correctly with the CRJ, you know, you you get a chime, that's a caution message for low fuel, but they might have, you know, that's just one thing that could have been if it's something more severe, there would have been something else going on in the background probably. That's a good
2: point. I hadn't thought of that. Um,
4: Stephen, a question if I may. The, your, yes. the low fuel warning, do you know uh, what – Tank level generates is it, uh, and is there a separate warning for low uh, collector box fuel? Because uh, I, and do, have you any idea how big that collector box is? How much no. fuel it
5: holds? You know, I, I I used to know Nick. I, I know yeah, of course. the CRJ two hundred. Um, your min fuel call was i want to say 1500 pounds total left and then your emergency fuel left was a thousand um so and then that low i i want to say that gave you oh probably about 30 minutes roughly of flying left if you were down to that low of a state so
4: yeah I'm just wondering if they had a low fuel warning, how much flying time they had left. And uh, if there was a fuel feed problem and they were just using the collector box fuel, would they have had a warning as that depleted?
5: Yeah, I don't recall there being a cast message for your collector tank being low, but you had a way to cross feed the fuel in the event something happened. Um, You know, there's also a gravity feed option that um, gravity feeds the fuel as well. So, if they did lose a fuel pump, they could do the gravity feed. The only caveat with that is, though, you can't use it for takeoff and landing because it sloshes, you know, you slosh around the fuel so much down low, turning and everything, it can cause you to lose, um, shift everything to one side, and you don't want that. So, yeah, um, that's about the only thing I could think of with that.
4: Um,
2: Super Stew in our audience, uh, she, uh, he or she is a is, is a new one. I haven't seen them before in our live audience. Uh, they would be fully configured at that point of the failure, right? So the aircraft would drop like a brick. I'm assuming um, and
5: uh, down downwind to Naples. You, I mean, I usually have my first notch of flaps in, but I'm not putting everything out else until I'm turning base. Yeah. They were about five miles out. So they were they probably at least had their first notch in, which is probably eight degrees of flaps on the six oh four. So, um, but now if you look at the picture of the crash, they did have the gear down. It looked like they had the flaps all the way yeah. out. So yeah, they're gonna come down pretty quick.
2: It was odd. You know, the the calmness in the pilots, whoever was communicating on the radio, their voice. All, I mean, how do you interpret that? Was like, okay, I'm not surprised that both engines have failed? It was almost like a uh, the sound of resignation that, oh, yeah, we were kind of expecting this was going to happen. But I don't know. I mean, if it were something that they thought they were going to be uh, completely exhausted of fuel, um, you would have thought that they would have requested you know, vectors direct to the airport and declared an emergency or something. Uh, the other thing I, I want to mention is that one of the eyewitnesses said that when they approached the the uh, the jet on the highway, that uh, the overwhelming smell of jet fuel was there, and also the fact yeah. that there was a, a fireball. Uh, that's suggesting that there may have been uh, some some fuel left in the tanks. Yeah,
4: I I agree there was probably fuel on the aircraft, that evidence we can see in the pictures, but it may not have been getting to the engines, right. which is kind of my question about yeah. the collector box. If that's where the engine is, the final collector box that feeds both engines, uh, perhaps there was some kind of a fault that was preventing the collector box from filling properly.
2: Mm-hmm. According to Hall Boxes, uh, the collector tanks are considered part of the main tank system. Main tanks each hold 4,800 pounds. So I don't know. You know, I, I think a lot of these answer, uh, questions that we have uh, will be answered, hopefully, in that preliminary report. Uh, so uh, I guess we'll just have to hang on and uh, find out what the uh, National Transportation Safety Board uh, determines. And they usually get the preliminaries out pretty quickly, and it's only been about a week. Since uh, this uh, this occurred, so or not quite a week, I guess it was Friday, wasn't it? Last week, okay. Yeah. Just All right. Just a week ago. Okay. Well, um, I'm, I, I know that w- we'll be talking about this uh, probably for some time. So let's go ahead and move on to this next item that happened in Africa. This is from the Aviation Herald. Um, an African Express Airways McDonnell Douglas MD eighty two, a mad dog. Registration 5, Yankee Alpha X-Ray Lima, performing a flight from uh, Juba to Malakal. Uh, I have no idea if I pronounced that right, but we're, I'm, we're just going to say that I did so I can ring the bell. There we go. Um, Touchdown short of runway 4 and suffered the collapse of the main gear. The aircraft came to a stop on the runway, on nose gear and belly of fuselage, and was disabled. The aircraft was evacuated. There are no reports of injuries, uh So here uh, are a couple of images that uh, Liz is showing. and um, Oh,
4: dear. A mad dog gets put down.
2: I know. It's sad. It really mm. is. <laughs> I really don't want to look at these pictures because it's just so <laughs> depressing. But uh so um I didn't realize, actually, I was telling Liz. I said, don't show that last slide until I tell you to. But apparently right there in the narrative, they say, yeah, to hit the end of the runway. So go ahead. Put it up there. There you go. That's what happened. <laughs> like, just a tad Ouch. bit short. And hit pretty yeah. hard. That's a pretty good lip uh, that goes from the yep. surrounding terrain to the runway surface. And, uh, yeah, that they really pranged that uh, right main yes. gear. I think it was right main. Well, one of you the main gear. You never did that, gear. right, Jeff? No, I never did that. I mean, I pranged it a couple of times, but not like that. <laughs> <laughs>
6: after you did. You
2: yeah, know. I've never, I never collapsed the gear. I, that's one of those things I can be proud to say. Yeah, Colla-
6: Mike, Mike Carroll's back, but
2: yeah, I did not. Yeah, Mike Carroll's is a liar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on <some> fire. <laughs> uh, anything really to say other than no, oopsie? Just because uh, it was
6: a, a mad dog had to pull it, put it in.
2: You know, you got to duck under sometimes. You know, to try to get more usable runway to, to stop. But you have to make sure you don't. Cut too short,
4: you know,
5: or catch the the lights on the end of the runway, either. Right, and it's never.
2: <laughs> well,
4: never you a good know, thing. in the military, we used to pride ourselves for touching down on the numbers, you know, or the piano keys, mm-hmm. uh, because you often needed full length. But uh, no, <laughs> there's not much difference between the beginning of the piano keys and where he touched down. But he ought to have known
2: better.
6: Good thing there wasn't a plane spotter standing there.
7: Yeah, that would have been
4: amazing. <laughs> get some
2: good pictures. Yeah, that would have been a very good, really good pictures. If he survived. Uh, or even if they didn't survive, Liz, it yeah, would still be your, good pictures. The camera you know? would have
3: kept them, yeah.
2: Yeah, as long as the camera kept running. Okay, uh, let's move on to this next one from NBC Bay Area. Oh, wait, no, Stephen wants to say one more thing about this man-dog, I think.
5: Well, no, actually, it it was back to the last one. Oh, okay, the, go ahead. The challenge because I, I I was just trying to refresh my brain, and you know we were talking about this collector of tanks. There's actually two um, ah, collector okay. tanks, and I, I'm just looking at this schematic. There's also several different check valves that feed that tank and everything, and you know I'm 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 just going down this thing. I, I wonder if one of those. Check valves may have closed on them, and then they weren't able to get the crossfeed open in time to continue feeding the engines. Because I don't think you're gonna be able to restart one of them that low. Because mm. most op, most business jet operators don't run the APU below after they've taken off because they don't they're afraid of a fire starting and you're not able to put out the fire on the APU, so they don't restart it. Unlike the Operator, I worked for. We would start our EPU on the CRJ below fifteen thousand feet for air conditioning purposes. Oh. So, if that was the case, you would have been able to start one back up because you have a d- another source to um, start the engine back up for bleed air. So, just a just a thought there with that. But okay, yeah. didn't mean to go back to that, but I just oh, no, wanted to point no, that no, out. That's
2: good. Yeah, if you, if you think of anything at any point, just uh, throw it in there. Um. You know how professional we are here. We um, absolutely yeah. only the best here. Only we are the best. well, yes, Liz, we are. <laughs> no, I am saying it with sarcasm. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's continue this with uh, NBCBayArea.com. Uh, dot com. Um, a man arrested after a stolen plane lands on beach. I am thinking the pilot, the guy that's probably at the controls, actually landed. Uh, on the beach, not the airplane. But he was in the airplane. Uh, Half Moon Bay, near Half Moon. Oh, it says Ear Half Moon Bay. I think it means near Half Moon yes. Bay. Um, this was sent in to us by John Chiala. And he says, crazy story story out of Palo Alto. Uh, yeah, a Florida man. Yeah, figures, right? <laughs> uh, has been arrested. Florida man.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, Florida
2: <laughs> man. Has uh, been arrested after he was accused of stealing. Excused. <laughs> He was accused of stealing a small plane Thursday, ditching it near... But
6: there was uh, no evidence or anything.
2: No, no evidence of that. Uh, Ditching it on a beach near Half Moon Bay and walking away, authorities say. A witness told authorities that the pilot left after landing the small plane at Poplar Beach at about 5 p.m., the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office said. The plane remained in the area Thursday night while crews worked on how to remove it from the area. Uh, Ryan Gross said she was walking on the beach with her dad and dog. When she noticed a plane flying low, then it went way uh, that way towards Mavericks. And then it came back around down the beach. It was flying really low. It landed sort of, and the tail started to nose over and plunged into into the sand. He hopped out and uh, he said he ran out of gas and he walked off. Moments later, he was uh, taken into custody by deputies of the uh, San Mateo uh, police or the San Mateo County Sheriff's office. Um, Anyway, I do have a little uh, bit of um, video that I can play. Just a little snippet of the uh, the scene at the beach. So let me... Is that Steph
6: coming up in her Jeep?
2: Yeah, I think that is Steph. A, no, that's not Steph's be, uh, yeah, Jeep. The doors and the,
6: and that's the yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, so there's the uh, sheriff's uh, little beach buggy thing. And there's that uh, Satabria. Um, yeah. Beautiful uh, little Sotabria four four That's six five. Alpha Charlie, which uh, was over at uh, the Palo Alto Airport, and so this guy flew it west and headed over toward Half Moon Bay, beautiful beach, and uh, but apparently, according to him, ran out of fuel and uh, had to land it on the beach. I
5: guess they got it. <laughs> how, how long did they say? How long he was. Joy flying around, or
2: mm, no, he turned off or did not turn on the transponder or ADS-B uh-huh. so nobody could nobody track him, so doing. nobody really okay. knows. Yeah,
5: well, that's even more interesting.
2: Yep, hmm. um, that's all I have on that one. Yeah. Thank you, uh, John, for sending that in. Let's continue with this. This is from US News. Dot com I guess it's US News and World Report I'm guessing um, Washington Reuters actually this is Reuters uh, a. US Senate committee on Thursday voted on legislation to boost safety inspector and air traffic controller staffing but declined to endorse raising the airline pilot retirement age uh, to 67 from 65 the US House of Representatives in July this is kind of what I suspected would happen by the way. Uh, the U.S. House of Representatives in July voted 351 to 69 on a sweeping bill to reauthorize the Federal Aviation Administration uh, (FAA) that would hike the mandatory pilot retirement age to 67. The Senate Committee, or Senate Commerce Committee, voted 14 to 13 to reject the retirement age hike after the FAA said earlier this week it would prefer additional research was conducted before Congress raised the age. And it also notes here in the article, current international rules would still prevent pilots older than 65 from flying in most countries outside the United States. So it wouldn't be, be very practical unless they not super somehow change yeah. that rule. And no, Liz, I'm not disappointed at all uh, that uh, it did not pass because I would not have put my hand up and said, hey, hey, I'm not 67 I'm yet. Back. I'm coming back. Nope. Uh, but just think about it. Most most of the pilots in my age range uh, were flying the heavy metal and flying the international long haul routes to foreign countries, international destinations. And as I just mentioned here, they haven't changed the age requirement. Uh, yeah, so it would mean it would mean a lot of retraining most likely, and displacing people who may have nice you know seniority on the <laughs> domestic kind of flying. Yeah. Uh, to be pushed down, a lot. Of, there'd be a lot of unhappy people if this, if this actually were passed. I'm, I'm
5: yeah.
3: guessing.
5: Well, well, you know, in in the charter world, you know, we don't have a age yet to retire by. Now, there's one operator here in the U.S. They require people to retire by, I believe, it's 70 now.
2: Yeah, that was just recently. I think. That yeah, that was th- tonight,
5: that. right before Christmas. Um, oh. <laughs> and you know, my my company. We, we do a lot of international flying and kind of the same thing. The senior guys are on the planes that fly the longer international stuff and they're not able to go to like Europe anymore and act as a PIC. But now what we've started doing, you can pair them up with a more um, younger captain as a PIC and then they can still work. They just can't exercise their duty as a PIC. They're just technically a first officer. Um, same thing. Um, Mexico's been cracking down on this a good bit too um, in certain places. Um, and we just do the same thing that you'll have a younger PIC and the older guy will act as an FO. And that's how we've been getting around that type of thing.
2: So. Okay. So it would then, well, I'm not sure if a little bit different situation in the airlines though right because yeah, that's, that's, you in can't, your yeah, you can't in your that. world you know your your pay is not going to change right those guys yeah. that are you know acting mm-hmm. as first officer would probably still get paid whatever they were getting paid right so, that's exactly right yeah in in the yep. airline world yeah i'm not sure that would work but, out Yeah, that's that not way. gonna fly yeah <laughs> so interesting um but you know it could be in the future that they may they may do some studies and they say, you know what? I think we are going to do that. And then perhaps internationally, ACAO or whatever, and some of these other countries will say, yeah, okay, we'll bump ours up too.
5: You know, even if you increase the age, I mean, are people going to want to work at age 67? Were, were you going to work at age of 67 no, if they bumped up? No, no. <laughs> exactly. So what, what difference does it make? But, but mean, there are, there no, you
2: know what, Stephen, though? There are a lot of, according to the uh, people that work at the chief pilot office in Atlanta, uh there were a lot of uh uh, guys mostly guys that uh were were kind of pissed off because they didn't they didn't want to stop flying you know and and of course they don't have to stop flying they could fly for outfits like uh yours Stephen, right
5: and i I was just gonna say my my friend he just had a um retired delta captain as his first officer you know here he is 26 year old that, that just upgraded as a captain and he's got this guy sitting in his right seat with him so i mean he's
2: he's constantly looking over they go shut up boomer
5: yes that's exactly Um, how that trip would actually
2: (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh so i was uh when i went into the g pilot office to ask them a few questions a couple of months before my my retirement um they said oh you're you're not upset about this, and I went. No, I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to retirement. I'm gonna gonna be in my motorhome, and I'm gonna be exploring the country, and I'm just gonna have a great time. And they go. oh. I said, Why are there a lot? You go. Oh yeah, there are a lot of people that are really not happy, and we kind of have to explain to them. Well, you know, it's not our rule. It's the FAA. It's not. Yeah, don't yeah, don't yell exactly at us. Right. Uh, but there are a lot of guys that are uh, and gals unhappy about having to stop flying, and I get that. But I um, I'm glad that um, that I don't feel that way. And uh, so this uh, Senate bill also prohibits airlines from charging fees for families to sit together and requires airlines to accept vouchers and credits for at least five years. I don't know what they were doing before, uh, but did not adopt many stricter consumer rules sought by the current administration.
4: Well, I think there'd be a lot of husbands will be a bit worried about that because, of uh, <sighs> In the old days, they used to say to their wives, oh, darling, they're charging us a fee for us to sit together, oh, yeah. so I'm going to sit over there.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> now, and now, now they wanna no to have, no the have that excuse. Darn, it. <laughs> yeah. Darn senators.
5: I, yeah, I, I think that particular line probably from that bill comes from like Spirit and Frontier that charge for you to pick your seat. Um, yeah. it, now, the only way, because I, I, we were looking at using Frontier to go someplace a couple weeks ago, um, they do their best to keep you together, but they don't guarantee you a spot unless you, you know, you pay x x dollar amount to do it. And I think that's what caused this people complaining that they're taking advantage of families. But you know, it clearly says when you are booking this that hey, you don't get a seat unless you pay for it. You know, you, yeah, you know, get the chooser seat. So,
3: right.
6: Jeff, Bill has a question for
2: yeah, you. Yeah, I see that uh, Bill says uh, in our audience would a captain over 65 prefer to keep flying as an FO and earn that level of salary versus just being retired?
5: Well, Probably. you know, I, I was just about to say we're we're about to do a pay bump at my company for the FOs and um, it's uh it's pretty good money to yeah. sit right
3: seat.
2: I um, yeah, I would think that that would be the case, but again, now we're t- bill we're talking a lot and it, I, I think it depends on the airline, but most airlines in the US are um, the pilot groups are represented by uh, unions, and you have a lot of different groups within these unions. We have people that were just hired and have their full careers ahead of them, and are expecting a certain level of, um, you know, a- attrition to occur so that they can move up and start enjoying seniority and higher pay rates. And uh, then you have the old geezers like me who are going, "Gosh darn it, you know, you can't kick me out of here until I'm ready to go." And uh, you whippersnapper, And uh, I'm going to keep making all this money and, and being sick half the time and, and not flying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, money makes you sick. <laughs> but, you know, so there are a lot of, in other words, there are a lot of groups that are within the pilot group as a whole that have different um, um, priorities. And right. uh, it, would be, uh, it would be a tough thing. Uh, for the union to work it out but hey you know that's what they're there for they're supposed to work these things out but uh, I don't know i yeah. i I guess that if they were able to work out something like that and it didn't adversely affect so many of the less senior people, younger people, maybe that would work i I don't know because you know it, it goes it just you know seems to make sense that if they were taking over as a first officer position then they're would maybe be more captain's positions available for the younger people so you know i don't know but that, you don't uh,
6: care anymore
2: i don't really yeah that's that's true I'm, I'm hurting my it's hurting my brain just thinking about it right now and i don't yeah, it's really care mine because, because trying to
5: process how that would work out <laughs> not for th- an airline actually I don't care.
2: all right hey, um, a quick
4: question from yes. me if i may uh I, it's a question that, uh, Ted Cruz, uh, I, that name seems familiar for some uh, reason, oh said boy. that the bill will nurture innovation, nascent technology, like air taxis, hypersonic planes, and unmanned aircraft. I wonder if you could kindly explain to me how that
2: works. Well, did you notice I didn't highlight that paragraph? Uh, she <laughs> doesn't want to
3: talk
2: about it. Yeah, so oh, I, I actually sorry, thought Jeff, about I a, a, actually <laughs> deleting it from that, but... I thought I'd be safe just not to highlight No, 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 with no. Nick <laughs> No, I cannot. Uh, no, I cannot make any sense at all of how this bill would nurture innovation and make some
5: technology. I, I, I can give you a quick summary, Nick. There are oh, probably... Th- so the bill's, you know, this massive document that is hundreds of pages long. And I'm just, I, I didn't go through all that. I went through some... There is stuff in there that will... That's kind of that mandates aid, looking to look into different things and whatnot. But you know, here in the United States, unless you pass the bill, you don't get to see exactly what's in it. And I think was this was that type oh, of situation right. where you don't get to see everything that's in there okay. until you all Is it on
4: it. a scroll? I mean do you... <laughs>
5: Um, I don't doubt it.
4: <laughs>
2: Maybe okay. Hey,
6: I think Bill's a Canadian, but I think he's got a good observation.
2: Uh, bill says sounds like political baffle gab. It, Never exactly. even heard of that word, but I love it. Ooh, exactly. wow. Um sounds so good. Let's let's move on to something yeah, that i we did a lot of boy
6: bashing. Let's do some Airbus no, bashing.
2: No, no, no. I'm not finished with this one yet, Liz. Oh, I sorry. I still have oh. highlighted paragraphs that I haven't talked about oh, I'm yet.
6: I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah, okay, you should be. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh Let's see. We put more FAA safety inspectors on factory floors and more air traffic controllers into towers fl- according s- inspecting to
6: inspecting the floors.
2: Uh, yes, they're inspectoring the fact inspecting the factory floors because apparently they're dangerous. Um, anyway, so obviously more FAA safety inspectors and more air traffic controllers in air traffic control towers, according to Maria Cantwell. Um, and, uh, we have a huge responsibility to make sure the FAA is doing its job to keep passengers safe. Although in recent years, they haven't been doing a great job of it. She did not say that. That was something I added. Okay. And then uh, finally, that the I think this is significant because we've talked about this in accidents oh, yeah. and incidents in the past about yeah. the, uh, the limitation on some of the, co- the older cockpit voice recorders. The current bill also requires airplanes to be equipped with 25-hour cockpit recording devices. And directs the FAA to deploy advanced airport service technology to help prevent collisions, like, for instance, at uh, Austin Bergstrom, where they were running the low visibility approaches and visibility approaches. And uh, there was a
5: JFK for that American plane ran across the runway and just took off about 30 minutes later and just erased everything.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or even the Alaska. You know the recent uh, door plug thing where apparently nobody thought to pull the circuit breaker for the yeah so
5: here's here's the other thing too i'm sure if we go dig in this bill that 25 hour requirement is for new certified
10: aircraft
2: probably
5: yep we haven't had a large transport category fresh sheet design aircraft since what the 787 7, and that's all coming up on shut up, Stephen. That's not the point.
2: No, but he's right, <laughs> he's right. No <So>,
4: 737 <laughs> uh, will ever have a 25 hour record. <laughs> is that is what right. you're saying? Uh,
2: not, not in my yeah, lifetime. Well, i not no, sure what the no, 737 no. future is. Well, like. My lifetime
4: might be pretty short now, but
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, nobody's holding their breath there. But at least, you know, maybe if one of these days when they come up with new airplanes, they'll be putting the 25-hour recorders in there. Yeah. Oh. All right.
5: Well, you, well, you know, if, if we really want to go out on a limb, maybe they should just, like, do a live stream data back to the company. And oh, wow. that way it's just constantly recording. I, I've company. heard that
4: suggested by both… Um, manufacturers that that oh, might be a
2: future yeah exactly well, they already do like a, a data stream of uh, engine parameters and all kinds of yep. things so yep. i wouldn't think that would be a major you know leap to have that kind of a technology uh,
4: yeah i mean you can have them streaming video uh, cameras as well and then they could put it on the internet so uh you know you could be sitting there and you could Listen to the pilots chatting in the crews, and watching the cabin crew come in. And I'm glad great, I'm not. I'm
2: glad I'm not working anymore. <laughs> okay, one day.
6: Next. Let's do some Airbus bashing.
2: Airbus bashing. Okay, here we go. Uh, this okay. is from airguide.info. Uh, the European Union Aviation Safety Agency (EASA) has now extended its wing inspection directive, initially covering the Airbus A320 CEO family, a current engine option, I guess, to encompass the A320 NEO family, the new engine option. This new directive, replacing the earlier one, mandates inspections in specific wing areas for signs of fatigue cracking. If any cracks are detected, airlines must immediately consult Airbus for approved repair instructions. The uh, directive outlines particular measures for Airbus A321neo aircraft. EASA's revised Airworthiness Directive now includes thorough inspections of the left-hand and right-hand wings on all Airbus A320CEO. Only and, the
4: left-hand and right-hand? Yes. What about
2: all the other wings? Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess not. Uh, on And A321neo family aircraft equipped with sharklets. Okay, so... Uh, you know, most of the Airbus wings have the wing fences that we're kind of used to seeing on the tips of Airbuses. But I guess some of the more modern uh, models are coming out with what I would call winglets, but I guess uh, Airbus calls them sharklets. Uh, so apparently, that's putting some kind of stresses on the wings. Was that, that a
6: sharklet uh, in Nick's recent cover art? Oh no, oh, that was a shark.
2: Boy, Liz is really working the role of the Scraping comedian today. The barrel today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd like to say, I'm glad that you all can't hear her in the, uh, in the yeah. live I that show. That
6: was kind of funny.
2: I know you did. <laughs> 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 all right. Okay. Uh, where were we before I was? Ridley and Sharklets. Charklets. Okay. Um, okay. Um, Originally, the directive focused only on inspecting wing manhole access panel attachment holes and the bottom wing skin panels, too, between ribs 13 and 23. On the A319 CEO, A320 CEO, and A321 CEO models, this directive was updated by the European regulator on January 25, 2024. Um, Yaza notes the fatigue cracking may occur in the specified wing areas of the aircraft are fitted with the sharklets. While all Airbus A320neo family are manufactured with these modifications, some A320CEO family aircraft were originally built with wingtip fences. The sharklet retrofit program for these older models began in 2013. Uh, Yaza warns that undetected and uncorrected conditions could lead to crack development Potentially compromising the wing's structural integrity, and I don't want to hear any wise cracks from any of you uh, or wing cracks. Anyway, so there you go. You have been notified. Those of you flying warned, these uh, yes. Airbuses. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: You thought they would have uh, worked out if their sharklets were going to put an additional load
2: on the wing before they you would have them so. on, but there you go. Yeah. Let's continue on with this from the Aviation Herald, a preliminary report. Uh, an Air Cairo Airbus A320 200N registration Sierra Uniform but, uh, <laughs> Bravo Uniform Mike. Uh, for some reason, I wanted to say Butler, but I'm not sure why. Uh, performing Flight uh, 2934. Hang on, what does Bravo Uniform Mike spell? Bum. Bum. Subum. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I should have said. An Air Cairo Airbus. A320 Subham. 200N, registration Subum. Yes. Uh, they were indeed. F- performing flight 2934 uh, that departed on October 13, uh, 2023, from Har- Hargada, Hargada, Egypt, to Hanover, Germany, with 172 passengers and nine crew. Landed on Hanover's runway 27 left, but temporarily veered left off the runway. The aircraft returned onto the runway center line and stopped on the runway. Um, after a brief stop, the aircraft taxied to the apron. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, what, yes, that's what happened I last mean. week. But apparently I they mean. didn't collect as much mud on the aircraft as the, uh, what was the, uh, uh, I forgot what the airline was in Vilnius, Lithuania that we talked oh, about yeah, last week.
6: the Avion or something.
2: Or- yeah, so I, I guess Guaranteed. I could have played this for uh for this uh particular
1: Okay, everybody, yeah. come outside. Everybody
6: ready for a wild
2: west ride? Yeah. yeah. Slip and slide. Yeah. In okay. Uh so let's see. October 26, 2023, Germany's BFU reported the occurrence was rated a serious incident and was being investigated. Of course, this is the preliminary report from the BFU. Uh captain was a pilot flying, and the first officer was a pilot monitoring. The crew decided for uh, an ILS approach to runway 27 left because a thunderstorm cell was closing in towards the approach path of runway 27 right uh, that the crew had intended to land on. While intercepting the localizer for 27 left, the crew observed the area of rain and turbulence near the approach path uh, on the weather radar. Air traffic control reported the cell was already overhead the aerodrome. Visibility was down to 3,400 meters, which I believe is just a little bit more than two miles. There were headwinds almost along the runway of two, 23 knots, gusting up to 34 knots. Okay, headwind, that's good. The aircraft received landing clearance, was descending on the glide slope with the runway lights in sight. Gear was down, full flaps, extended at 2350 feet. Auto brakes were set to medium, and ground spoilers were armed. Both autopilots and flight directors were active in localizer and glide slope modes. Auto thrust was in managed speed. Descending through 500 feet, the rain started. Windscreen wipers were selected on fast speed. At 260 feet above ground level, the autopilots were disengaged. Auto thrust remained engaged. The aircraft crossed the runway threshold at 36 feet above ground level at 132 knots indicated, about four meters to the four meters to the left of the runway centerline. The crew said that at this time the visibility was good, runway was clearly visible. However. In the flare, the rain intensity increased and visibility reduced. The windscreen wipers were no longer able to clear the water off the windscreen. I've been there and it's not fun. Uh, the center line and edge lights became blurred, and the captain stated that's possible, therefore, that he confused the runway edge lights for the runway center line lights. That's not good. According to the flight data recorder, the flare lasted for 11 seconds. The first officer called out, Bank. After the bank angle increased from 2 degrees to the left to 5 degrees left, uh, the left main gear touched down first on the grass besides the runway. The right main gear touched down on the runway shortly afterwards before going off the paved surface of the runway too. The captain used right rudder and the localizer indication to steer the aircraft back onto the runway. Visibility improved again, and sight onto the runway became sufficient again so that the captain steered the aircraft back onto the center line visually. The maximum distance of the left main gear to the runway center line was 33 meters or 100 feet. Ooh, that was a, kind of a, a big miss there. Now, I think, now, you know, they're talking about rain and, you know, stormy weather and all that kind of stuff. Uh, are not you
6: an investigator? I, I'm
2: thinking, and I, I'm a, yes, Liz, I am a trained aircraft investigator. It's been a while since I've done any investigations, but... My keen eye happened to spot something, and I think I know why they veered off the left side of the runway. Look at that. There was a. Oh, good There Lord was God. a van. There was a. a, a it's white van, A man. white van on the runway in the touchdown zone. <laughs>
4: well, no one. It he, he was lucky he spotted it. I know. It? Yeah,
3: that was a good catch.
2: <laughs> yeah, well
4: done.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, well.
4: That would have spoiled his day if he hadn't swerved around it.
2: Exactly. Well, obviously, this is after the uh, fact, and they're showing. The uh, the marks of the uh, tires off the off the runway there. But um, now I have to say, as I mentioned just a few seconds ago, that I have been in this kind of situation, and I think it's it's one of those most dangerous situations you know, for me, especially once you do it one time. From that point forward, you're thinking. Okay, I'm going to maybe treat these situations a little bit differently, and um I anytime I saw like moderate to heavy rain forecast, I was always aware that this could be a kind of a dicey situation because you're already well below minimums uh, and you're in your head committed to landing this airplane, and it's really tough sometimes to talk yourself out of continuing with the landing, especially when you're below minimums and you're seeing everything just fine. And all of a sudden you can't, you just lose everything there for just a second or two, but that's all it takes. And I'm wondering if this guy, when he, when he went from two degrees to five degrees of left bank, if he was like, like hunting for that, like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting to feel my mains on the runway, you know, (laughs) like, okay, I'm going to help it a little bit more. I'm going to bank a little bit more to the left to get something on the runway. And then of course, it turns out that they were no longer over the yeah. runway at that point
5: well um, you, you know he, he i guess after the fact he was um after they touched down he was using the rudder to get back to the localizer indication and i was kind of thinking i was like were you not looking at that before
11: yeah probably
4: was not going to be a point i was going <laughs> to mention <laughs> I mean, uh, should have been in, his yeah, in the flare. F- yeah, f- uh, that close to the runway, uh, the localizer is very sensitive. So four That's meters fine. left, you would have a lot of localizer deflection at that point. Uh, so I, yeah, no, you shouldn't be staring at your instruments, but neither should you be stopping that scan of uh, instruments and out. You just change the proportion between the amount you're looking into the amount you're looking out. So, yeah, I agree with you uh, indeed. But um, it just seems also to me, now, I I always thought when you're in heavy rain, if you're going to land, land firmly, because not only have you got to deal with the weather, but you've got to stop on this runway. And if there's a lot of rain on the runway, you don't want to do a beautiful... Easy, gentle yep. touchdown, it will lead to aquaplaning, and then your troubles are only just starting. So, an 11 second flare just seems uh, hugely excessive to me. Why he didn't just plant it and get it on the ground while he could, you know, while he yeah, could, I, that was great.
5: And you know, I wonder if maybe he caught a gust right there at the end of that caused the flare to go a little bit longer than what was may well, have. Was he
4: didn't mention then. it in his excuses. So, yeah. Uh, Darn. It would have been well, my have first that. excuse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I got caught in a big gust and I couldn't get the airplane down and we drifted off. And before I knew it, we were,
2: they did mention what, what did they say? Uh, 30 or 14 to 34. No, wait, uh, 24 yeah, to 34. Um, the two that, that are bolded. 23 knots gusting to 34. That was in the narrative, <laughs> not the, uh, METAR. Um, but yeah, so yeah there were gusty winds. conditions, but eh.
5: perfectly doable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But so I think mm-hmm. what happens though, when you get to that point where you've just lost all those visual cues, you don't know if you're still coming down at a pretty good rate or if you've overcompensated and now you're just leveled off, you know, 10 feet above the runway. You know, it's, you know, you have, unless you can force yourself to look down at that radar altimeter radio yeah. altimeter to see exactly where you are you know and and that's you know
4: well, he's, he's got nice auto callouts, call outs and it's when they slow down mm-hmm. and go five. five
2: Five, mm-hmm.
4: you know, you're floating five yeah. feet above the runway. I
3: haul boxes has a comment here. I haul
2: boxes has a comment for Thank us uh, with the long flare. Should he have just initiated no, no, a go sorry, around? Well, oh, that's from Bill. Uh, I'm yes, sorry. Bill, I think that was a good idea. Yes, Bill, uh, I agree. I haul boxes, <laughs> you can always balk a landing frappe la yep. derrière and go around. Yeah, uh, but to both yeah. of you, yes, a go around probably would have, you know, in hindsight, here probably would have been the best uh form of action. And derrière
4: site, Jeff.
2: Oh, you know, derrière site, yes. Uh, same thing as mine. Site. Um yeah, I, I mean it's so I've gotten I'm well, not anymore because I'm not doing this for a living anymore, but I got to the point after having one or more of these kind of situations talked myself into if I'm allowed to do it, you know, the parameters are good enough and the uh, aircraft uh, is equipped in operating, and the airport facilities are working f- to facilitate an auto land. That I'm just going to plan on doing an auto land. Now, in in this case, the winds would have prevented that from being used. But um, I just, yeah there are times when you can have this kind of a situation with heavy rain and not have these super gusty winds. And so you're, you're within the auto land parameters of your, of your machine. And you know, there's uh,
5: a famous video on YouTube that's, I don't know how old it is, but it's just this, I think it's a triple seven or seven, four coming to land and it's raining and they get closer and closer. And I think the rat out's like down to like 50 feet and then they just lose everything. Cause it's pouring so much rain and they go around and not, Probably something these two pilots should have looked at at some point probably would have been a good ref- refresher for them.
3: Yeah.
4: Yep. Yeah. I mean, we had an aircraft at um, Port Harcourt that landed, uh, and as the guy fled, he had a fog bank that had drifted across the runway, mm. and he lost sight of everything. So he initiated a go-around uh, sort of in the flare and of course it takes a while so he touched down and he'd drifted off the runway so he touched down his wheels off the runway for about a couple of hundred feet and then he climbed away again Uh, no damage no problem but uh, at least he'd already made the decision that this was not going to be a good idea to try and continue this landing and i think you have to be prepared to do that when you're in this these kind of in and out uh visibility
2: problem situations yeah All right. Uh, Let's see. Let's move on to this from the Aviation Herald. Um, A KLM Boeing 777-200 registration Pava Hotel Bravo Quebec uh, Oscar performing flight 591 from Amsterdam to Johannesburg was en route at flight level 330 about 80 nautical miles east of uh, Menorca, Spain, when the crew decided to turn around and return to Amsterdam. The aircraft descended to flight level 280 for the return dumped fuel and landed safely on Amsterdam's runway 18 right. about two hours after leaving flight level 330, and then they taxied to the apron. Uh, the Dutch Onderzoeksraad. reported they have dispatched investigators to Schiphol Airport for investigation concerning an aircraft that returned to Schiphol with cabin problems. A passenger reported that there was a strange smell Uh, And they were not referring to the KLM crew. Uh, (laughs) Fellow passengers were standing, sobbing, shaking, terrified. (laughs) That's a bad smell. An electrical fire in an oven in the aft galley had started. Toxic gases came from the aft of the cabin. The passengers in the aft cabin were moved to the middle of the cabin, while flight attendants in protective masks rushed with fire extinguishers to put the fire out. The toxic smell continued until they disembarked the aircraft. After landing, passengers were attended to by medical staff, but they all were doing okay. The passenger stated, cabin crew needs trauma counseling. <laughs> okay. A replacement aircraft is going to take them to Johannesburg. In January 2024, the Dutch uh let me see if I can pronounce that again. Pretty good, huh? Uh, Yeah, your
4: voice goes a bit funny when you say that. Well, you know, it's just
2: a weird word, and I can't help it. (laughs) It sounds a bit feminine, that's all. (laughs) Well, I have a feminine side. Um, (laughs) Let's see. The the six Halon fire bottles were used by the cabin crew. Subsequently, three cabin crew and 12 passengers suffered breathing difficulties. The investigation is ongoing.
4: Yeah. To be expected. If you fire off six halon, uh <laughs> fire extinguishers in the back galley, exactly uh, what I was thinking. everyone <laughs> in the vicinity is going to be coughing and wheezing and their eyes are going to be watering out because it. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to kill you, but it's an irritant and uh, it's going to make you cough and it's not a very nice smell. Can't be good um, for you. So, no, oh. <laughs> so, it's, it's not like you'd, Go and breathe it at a health resort. No. <laughs> oh, really? But, oh, okay. but on the other hand, you're going to survive. It's better than burning to death yes. in a fire. So, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, that. that's all it was. And uh, I, it's, it's worth the crew making sure all the passengers understood what the cause was in other words relax we put the fire out it was not as serious as we thought so we're going to go back to Amsterdam by the way you may be experiencing some irritation to your eyes nose and throat because of the fire extinguishing uh, medium we used or something like that so that you give people information and then they won't come up with all these dreadful um, badly made <laughs> descriptions <laughs> of what they thought was happening how did they know that this <laughs> cabin crew needed trauma counseling? Did they, they hide have. in the toilet or something after I that?
2: I don't know. Yeah, they didn't really go into a lot of detail as to why uh, this passenger thought. By the way, uh, we it.
4: always had a, a full debrief. If every one of these events occurred in the aircraft, uh, we get all the passengers off then the ca- cabin crew and uh, the flight deck would come around the captain would discuss and they would have a, a full debrief of what had just occurred and provide any counselling in fact uh, if we we're in a home base they we get one of the duty managers to come out and do it and uh, they would you know single out people who were upset by it and they would receive counselling but uh uh it's it's not like uh you know it's a particularly worrisome event i wouldn't have thought
3: no
2: i don't believe so. i wonder whose dinner burnt was it the captain's <laughs> it would have been it would have been uh probably not the captain's in the aft galley maybe uh, oh no no that's one right one of the flight attendant meals yeah, or something
4: yeah. or or she left a we have cabin crew put a, put a handbag in the oven because uh, she came mm. on the aircraft in a hurry oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And, and couldn't get to the pl- normal place they stayed there. And so she threw it in the oven to get it out of the way for takeoff, and then forgot mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> oh,
2: that, that reminds me of something that happened for reals on a Delta flight years ago, back in the days when uh, we were actually accepting cash on board the aircraft for
3: oh. <laughs> alcohol
2: and other things. And this older lady, who probably should have retired decades before, uh, she was, uh, like she was kind of infamous because people said that she was just so old. She was kind of losing her mind a little bit. And, uh, so she ended up. It with, happens to people of our age. I know does, it does. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to joke about it too much. Um, but anyway, she was collecting all this cash and didn't know where to put it. So she thought the oven would be a good place. To put it, <laughs> and, so, and I think that if, if anybody out there is listening, if you're a Delta flight attendant, you'll you'll go, oh yeah, we heard about this story. In fact, some of you actually have, may have been working um, at the time when this occurred, and uh, the, yeah, the the oven, I guess, somehow was was on, and uh, the uh, the cash got you know
6: hot cash.
2: Yeah, it was it was definitely hot cash. <laughs> uh, got on you know caught on fire, Absolutely. and it was a yeah. it was kind of a, a big event.
6: I-Hall um, Boxes says this is a comment
2: one of the passengers made to another one. Uh, let's see. I-Hall Boxes thinks that um, this may have been a comment that one of the passengers made to the other. You'd think the creme brulee was supposed to smell like that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
4: no? think some pretty mm-hmm. exotic uh, flavors in creme brulee nowadays.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah Pretty toxic, yeah. yeah. Okay, Heylon, last, last but not Okay, well, you know what? I think... The, actually, this next one, Liz. I don't even know if I want to cover it because it's kind of it's kind of a crappy um, article. We're Ugh. obsessed with this um, stuff, Jeff. We, yeah, got we are. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, there's a helicopter. Ooh, oh, incredible. dropping something. I don't know. I think it's dropping a whole load of crap. Is what it's dropping. Uh, this is from theguardian.com, which uh, makes sense. Um, a state uh, premier says in emergency situations sometimes it doesn't always go to plan after a mistake when fighting a, the Bullsbrook blaze uh, investigators are probing how firefighters don't probe too closely how firefighters came to douse parts of a west australian town in sewage wastewater while battling a bushfire residents in Bullsbrook about 35 kilometers northeast of Perth, have been warned to empty water tanks and not eat anything from their gardens after water bombers drew from the wrong ponds at a wastewater (laughs) treatment plant on Wednesday when battling a blaze that was threatening homes and schools.
3: Um,
2: (laughs) Officials are probing why the ponds were... There's a lot of probing in this article. Officials (laughs) are wondering why the ponds were not marked as no-go zones in department logbooks. Uh, They maintain an extensive log of no-go zones for water sources throughout the state, a spokesperson said on Friday. A review of the status of all available water sources in the state will be conducted. Um, One of the ponds contained a safe water supply. However, it was later discovered the two other nearby ponds contained waste water. Uh, let's see. Bullsbrook resident Natalie Bennett said her family was hosing down their roof when they were showered by helicopters passing overhead on Wednesday. When they flew over, as leaking water at the time, it felt lovely as it was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> now, now she doesn't feel that Very way. <laughs> no,
4: She's no, going
2: for a leak. The helicopters going for a leak over. It feels so lovely. And no. then she was horrified to receive a text uh, at. 2 a.m. local time, or <laughs> awakened in the middle of the night. By the way, that lovely little water spray uh, was uh, could have been a potential exposure to hazardous bacteria. Have a nice day. <laughs> Get back to sleep now. Ugh. Yeah. So that was just a.
4: But I like the the comment. Uh, regardless of the graceness and possible danger from the hazmat, we're eternally grateful to all the fireys who <laughs> saved our homes. Well, that's nice. The school and the doctor's surgery. It wouldn't have been possible without the chopper's fast
2: turnaround. All right. So overall, I think that the sentiment is that the excrement wasn't such a big thing.
6: There, Bill saying it.
2: Hit the air conditioner, though. Bill uh, says, in, uh, <laughs> is this the case where the ex hit the air conditioner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, very good. <laughs> oh, and yeah, I'm sure the golden shower jokes are, are coming for sure. All right. All right. Um, time to get to know time us. Time to get to know us. Good idea. Let's see. Here we go. The time of the show where we get to get all caught up with what we've been doing between shows. Now, Stephen... It's been a while yes, since you've been a, been on our show, so you can't take the next several hours to get us <laughs> caught up with everything that you've been doing. But <laughs> why don't you pick a couple of highlights uh, you know, since you were with us the last time? And I think I have an I'm idea fine. of some of those highlights that you might yeah. mention. But I'm going to let I'm going to give you the give you the floor.
4: Oh, let me okay. explain what happened to your beard. But did I have a beard last time.
2: Well, I've got a picture of you right here. Well, yeah. oh, okay. Well, that yeah. wasn't on the last show. That was that was even longer well, Not ago. the last show, no. Yeah. But yeah, I remember I mean, that, you yeah. with the beard.
3: Oh yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. that place <laughs>
2: in uh, in Atlanta uh, that we had a meetup. Uh, what That's, was right. That's right. That's uh, uh,
4: right.
2: Ormsby's. Ormsby's. That's wow. That's great right.
4: memory. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it it looks like the teams got together again. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wish you could that have. That's great, again. isn't it?
5: Um, I don't remember the last time I was here, but uh, the big highlight. Um, I have a son now. In case um, I didn't cover that then, um, me, me, Maverick. Um, yeah,
2: Mini Me. Liz is saying because yeah, your yeah. your son yeah. looks like a miniature version of he, of
5: he really Steven. does. Yeah. Um, but he he's eleven months um, two days ago, and then his first birthday is wow. next month. So we've been huh. um, planning that out, um, and then. The, Uh, We also have number two on the way. Uh Um, Wow. And she is due in July.
3: Oh, wow. Cool.
4: Right.
5: So we're going to have a perfectly balanced family. uh, So that's great. (laughs) That's
4: (laughs) Um, fantastic.
5: I know. Very exciting and scary all at the same time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And then I had long recurrent um, into January. Um, Everything went good. Um, And then I've I'm still in the phenom with the company I'm at now. Um still a captain. Um, so you're a really,
2: phenomenal pilot.
5: I am a phenomenal pilot. The, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> you know, I actually saw <laughs> a job <laughs> post the other day. It said looking for a phenomenal pilot. And everyone was like, are you talk, you need a phenom pilot or you just need a phenomenal <laughs> pilot? <laughs> or both. <laughs> <laughs> or both. Oh, um, anyway. But, yeah. um, yeah, that's really all, I, uh, all I've been up to. Um,
0: Thing. Well,
2: and you're in a new uh, new home, right? Uh, the, uh, probably the last time you were on the show. Yeah, you know, you I, I think the
5: last time place. I was in the other house. Um, yeah. yeah, we,
0: we moved
5: um, almost a year and a half ago now. We moved over to the Noonan, kind of um, close to where Mike Carroll's is located. Um, no, that's just nice oh, the uh, uh, other, other side of town. <laughs> um, kind of needed the space for the kids and everything. So um, that's where we're at now. But, um,
2: yeah, that's yeah, really all Yeah, I was wondering I, if there's space true. for an RV, maybe? Uh,
5: there was in your no, old place, but not this there, place. There was, <laughs> um, which I, I still own. So if you oh, okay. do need to go, yeah, we, okay. we can work that out. Um,
2: ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, but, you no,
5: know, I HOA would appreciate you parking. Every, inside, every time
2: um, <laughs> I, I see you, Stephen, and I, I think back of that great time that we, that couple of weeks that we got to spend with each other, Oh. Uh, heading out to California and the Prius and all those wonderful sights you know, that we got to see. Yeah.
5: You know, that's the other big thing that just happened. Um we got a we got a family car now and I, I sold the Prius.
2: Oh no. I, and you that know what? I,
5: I got a little emotional when, when oh, we man. were signed the paperwork. I was like, oh I, I I did a road trip with Jeff in this and everything yeah, I,
2: else. So. I um if I remember to do this, um I'll I'll put a link in the show notes of the um we did several little short videos on our our big oh, road yeah. trip out to California. We had a good time. Uh yeah, that was, was a lot of fun. Good. A lot of fun. Man, no, a, completely um, contip- a completely different um completely different Stephen ivy back then, right? Completely single, yeah, I mean, single, had not met your future wife.
5: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, for yeah. those that are new here, almost what We'll call it three years ago. I was, yeah, was 20, I, I think. 2020. Yeah. I was single. I was working at SkyWest and COVID happened. And then I got a job with Lockheed Martin out mm-hmm. in California and um, took Jeff with me to help move my car and my stuff across there. And then um, about, uh, I guess it was six months later, met my wife online and then ended up getting married about a year after that so
2: now <laughs> one uh one child and one on the way wow that's right that's, Just, that's yeah, right that's that's amazing. Amazing.
4: i'm so impressed there Stephen. you didn't fall into the trap by saying i was single happy and carefree um <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, you'd,
5: you'd, you'd, you know i might have if i wasn't Oh. Suffering from commuting and being on reserve. I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't fun.
2: Yeah, I don't know how you oh, did that. Okay. That was a. That was a pretty yeah. rough life that you were living. Yeah. Oh, no, tough. I, tough at the top. And, yeah. And,
5: and, and you know, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to disown anyone that does it. It, it. It's. It's not fun. It's difficult. Um, anybody that has to commute to work for an airline is. Um, it's
4: not fun.
2: Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I never had to do uh, that myself. Sucks the
4: fun out of your soul.
2: Yeah, it does. It, does. it really does. Yeah, so it was really, really nice uh, to have you on the show, Stephen. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, while we were on that road trip, I think we recorded two episodes of uh, APG. We so did. We were, uh, we, did. You know, we were co-hosting even back in uh, in 2020, the summer of 2020, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. All right. Um, so thanks, Stephen. Uh, Captain Nick. Um, I think that you've been busy with things and they're all not super pleasant.
4: Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I did a talk to the Hawker Association. That's what I mean. Uh, I that was it not pleasant last...
2: at all for those people.
4: <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's <laughs> me. Uh, and look, there's me advertising the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. Yeah, right nice. I love it. And uh, there was a You photoshopped you. that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. This was the Audience gathering in the Hawker Center uh, in Kingston, and uh, it was very good. Uh, lovely uh, guy there, a um, Harry, a test pilot, and uh, lots of uh, very good Hawker engineers of old when there used to be an aircraft factory there. Anyway, the talk went fine, and that was great uh, fun. But Wait, uh, go sadly, back. Don't go
2: back to that. I'm sorry. Before you oh, go to the oh, it's the old gentleman with his uh, yeah, chips. The, the old the old gentleman uh, next to the guy with the chips is kind of just sadly yeah. looking yeah. down, is, going, is "Oh my yeah. gosh, what was I thinking coming here? This is this oh, is going to be the most boring
4: thing." And I cheered him up marvelously. Okay. But uh, you remind me uh, they actually um, get a lot of their audience on Zoom, so they uh, televise it as well. So. Ah, okay. uh, they get a lot of uh, people watching it remotely, their talks. Anyway, that was good fun. Nice to see uh, Frank Rainsborough, who uh, runs the thing, and Chris, uh, the president as well. So um, yeah, I was, uh, I'm was. i very worried at the moment because our uh, oldest Wiesler, uh Rusty, is uh, very unwell. And uh, it happened uh, at the beginning of the week, really. She became ill very quickly. Uh, this is Rusty in uh, fine health, but uh, um, she was diagnosed as being very anemic. Uh, it looks like it might be an immune-related uh, problem. So they're saying IMHA, which is immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, where it's your the body's own defense system that uh, uh, attacks your red blood cells um, and the bone marrow, et cetera. Uh, so... Yeah, she's not at all well, and we're we're really sort of fighting the system here because our local vet has shrunk and no longer looks after dogs after hours. So um, we now have to shunt her. She's really very ill, but we're putting her in the car and taking her uh, twenty or thirty miles to uh, another city where there is an overnight service. So we check her in there uh, and bring her out, and they they. They say you've got to be out at 7.30 in the morning, so that means getting up very early to go and pick her up, bring her back to our normal vet. They look her after during the day, and we've been doing that all week, really. Uh, and she was going downhill very fast, but we managed to get some blood to transfuse her with very nicely one of the vets used her own dog for one transfusion but now mm. i had to go and they managed to find some blood it's, it's really hard to get hold of unless you're willing to pay pay you know six or seven hundred pounds to have it specially shipped down from some center up mm. north anyway i managed to find a local um, veterinary hospital that uh, provided some so I drove out to this place and came back with it Uh, anyway there's lots to this story and I don't need to bore you but she's hanging on Uh, she's hanging on really because we're transfusing her and we're hoping that the treatment for the autoimmune problem which is basically steroids um, will kick in and she'll start to regrow her own blood cells but uh, sadly, I'm not confident, but we're going to wait and see. We we know we're living and hoping at the moment, but uh, m- more
2: news of that next week, I expect. Yeah. Uh, in Our prayers the meantime, and thoughts are with with her and with you. Oh, and you're Julie. very Absolutely.
4: very kind. Yeah, Julie. Of course, it hits very hard because she just loves her dogs. Uh, I mean, I do too, but uh, I tend to go onto this very practical uh, plane. when these sort of things happen. Uh, and I don't really feel the emotional side of it until it's probably too late, but there you go.
6: But at least you're here, there with her, Nick, and not across oh, the Oh, indeed,
4: area. yeah, we, we're doing this together. I, sadly, Julie's uh, away on a, uh, a special weekend. Uh, I'm looking after uh, all the dogs on my own this weekend, so it's going to be a busy old time. Uh, but uh, not, I'm sure we can uh, sort that out. Um, what else uh, has been happening um, nothing really uh, other than um, the sh- the uh, cover art for last week yeah. we had we had a very interesting uh, subject to cover because we had um, uh, runaway runways we had off-roading in my airliner we had squeeze play and poop pyramids these were all the suggestions <laughs> all uh, and splish splash it's an airbus bath and a john deere airbus and this was mainly due to the off-roading airliners that Cheerios. couldn't keep to the tarmac so uh we in we <laughs> i duly found a picture of an off-roading airliner and a poop pyramid which uh hillel since he's splish splashing in a bath normally is. <laughs> Is cuddling, which is a bit of a worry if you ask mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Uh, and we turned the airliner into a John Deere machine. So I hope you Americans appreciate that. I do. And uh, <laughs> the, oh, yeah, we managed to get the uh, that logo at the bottom of the poop pyramid uh, Where uh, just below oh, the well. word Look <laughs> <at> poop. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well. Hello, hiding. I was very of the way. astonished
2: that he uh, that our, our logo is there on the on the <laughs>
3: <He's trying laughs> Obviously, to take his deep breath and then
4: hold his breath. <laughs> uh, that's right, and then uh, we hit the show number. It's peeking out from behind oh, wow. the ridge line there. So the six is on its side, as is the zero. The five's upright, but. Uh, it uh, wasn't immediately obvious because Jeff, Jeff couldn't yeah. find it.
2: <laughs> Doing some show prep here. I'll go, okay, where
4: is it? <laughs> I don't see it. Indeed. Yeah. Exactly right. So art. there you go. That was last week's uh, cover art. And, Very good.
6: And we've
4: Great got job. a plain tale this week. Yeah. We oh, yeah, we have. And up I was going to say we were up to date with the plain tales, but now I'm one behind. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of. Sort of, uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly All right. So, plain tale today. Uh, I would it. suggest you play it at times two speed. I was listening to it this afternoon saying, why was I speaking so slowly? Uh, but I really don't know. I was probably a bit tired. No,
2: it, it, it sounds good to me. Good. Um, Bless you, Jeff? Well, I have been just doing my normal singing, a lot of singing. Oops, and, singing! And uh, we, uh, let's see, we just uh, had uh, Fat Tuesday on Tuesday of this week, uh, Mardi Gras. And then uh, the next day is Ash Wednesday, and so uh, that's kind of a big deal in a lot of uh, Christian churches. And uh, sang at a couple of masses yesterday for that. It was also St. Valentine's Day. Uh, most people just call it Valentine's Day. Um, that just happened to fall on the same day this year. And um, for the rest of Lent, you know, the Ash Wednesday starts the, the season, liturgical season of Lent. And uh, so it's going to approximately 40 days until Easter Sunday, and um, so I'm going to be busy doing some extra singing uh, during Lent, especially on Fridays for, uh, for uh, some extra things. And so, yeah, um, that's the uh, the update on my.
4: When you say
2: liturgical, does that mean you all go and? Take each other to court. <laughs> no, not, not, uh, that's, no, that's, liturgical. that's litigical and not liturgical. Uh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's big different. difference. Yes, okay. Yeah, Sorry. liturgy is, uh, but, uh, <laughs> the church seasons. So are you uh, giving up okay. APG Did, for Lent? Am I giving up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm giving up yeah. APG for Lent? Yes, I am giving up it. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well,
3: that's uh, good uh, to know, uh, I guess. Sounds
2: <laughs> like, uh, it would be a good idea. Um, it, I, I, um, I, I have, uh, selected, uh, something to attempt to give up. And I've also taken on, you know, it isn't always, uh, that you, that you leave something behind or give something up, but it may be yeah. things that you do, uh, that you just don't normally do in your normal life. And, uh, so, uh, I have a couple, that I don't want to really share because, no, uh, nice. basically because, uh, I'll probably, uh, be embarrassed when I, when I, Fail, oh. which is usually the case for me. But anyway, uh, so that's going on. And uh, let's see. Then, you know, we we mentioned uh, last episode that uh, our new senior executive producer, Mark Z, uh, from uh, Ops Group um, – uh, has become a, yeah he a patron of the show, and we do appreciate that, and, and that uh, Captain Nick and I have been uh, able to take advantage of the daily briefing from Ops Group and our membership there. And uh, I just thought I, I saw something a couple of days ago that I thought might be worth mentioning. I wasn't sure exactly where to put it in the show lineup. I guess it could have been feedback. But um, I just thought it was worth mentioning, especially to those people like, like Steven and Pip and others out there who are flying uh, business aircraft and right. flying to a lot of destinations that we don't fly to uh, in, the, uh, in the scheduled airline service world. Um, and uh, this uh, kind of applies to that world. And, the, and also it happens to coincide with a very high-profile pop singer and uh, and NFL Lady Super Bowl. Gaga. No, uh, so Taylor <laughs> Swift. Did you notice the? Uh, did you notice the headline here from? Uh, no, outscrew?
4: I was assuming it was Madonna or oh, something like that. No, see, like it that. says
2: U.S. U.S. FAA Swift move to improve flight tracking privacy. See, Swift is Taylor Swift. Oh, See what they did there? That's they clever. little play oh, on words. Go, very that's good. what the ops group people do. They, Sounds they try much to, better than Gaga move. Yeah, <laughs> Gaga move would have not have been the same connotation. Um, so, anyway, the FAA's privacy ICAO address which is PIA program, has been expanded to include some new Oceanic and Gulf of Mexico routes. If you're not familiar with this program, it prevents users' aircraft registration from being tracked by third parties using ADS-B output during U.S. domestic flights. Uh, Check below for exactly which routes this program now applies to and our obstacle uh, with steps on how to register. So uh, this article goes into a lot of detail. And so that's one of the things that um, you'll remember maybe about a year ago, maybe longer. Um, Elon Musk was a little upset with a guy that was taking data that was freely and universally publicly available on uh, ads yeah. Exchange. Uh, if you know the aircraft registration number, uh, even though people have made... Many many attempts to try to, uh, to to be stealth and kind of fly places without people knowing and tracking them and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And well, there's this guy that that basically created a website that was uh, using the freely available information on ADSB exchange and putting it on there. And and that uh, Musk was not happy about that. So I guess this is kind of one of the and, and Taylor Swift. She was uh, in Japan, I believe, Tokyo, doing some kind yep. of a concert, and then she ch- hopped on a private jet and flew across the Pacific and got to uh, Las Vegas in time for the Super Bowl because she, her uh, her boyfriend uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, one of the uh, football players for uh, the uh, Kansas City um, Chiefs, and uh, so anyway, so was, a lot of this was in the news again about privacy of. Passengers and and private jet traffic. And just so happens that we have somebody here that, that that's what they do for a living. They fly these private jets and that kind of thing. And are you familiar with this program, Stephen? This PIA first, program?
5: The, the first, I, I've heard about it, but um, you know, I, I work for a primarily a fractional ownership company. So people buy. Fraction of the airplane, we provide the plane, the crew for them when they need it. Um, and you can track all of our airplanes. Um, you know, if you know the end number, you can punch it in, pull it up, and you can see where the plane's at. You just mm-hmm. don't know who's on it. Um, which, <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, is it, a really simple solution here. I understand why people own their own aircraft. I know why they want to do it. But if you want to be incognito, just buy a fraction of an airplane and then they're not going to know which one you're on unless the paparazzi are following you Mm -hmm. to wherever you're going. And then that's a whole other issue because they're going to know which plane you're on anyway. So, I I mean,
2: what was that, that service that, uh, that uh, popped up, um, five, 10 years ago. What,
5: ADSB exchange? No,
2: no, no. Uh, there was a company that was kind of offered flight dispatch services and stuff like that, but it also gave people a way to obscure. They used a, a, a third party kind of call sign, so they oh, weren't using
5: the um, um, Dot-com. Uh, dot dot yeah, yeah I, I think it's. I don't. I can't think of the name of the website though.
2: Yeah, but anyway, so that sort of kind of solved the problem back then. But then yeah. people finally started figuring out that if you know the registration number of the aircraft, can, the call sign yeah. doesn't make any difference because yeah. now you know the end number of the airplane and you, it's in the public database on ADSB yep. exchange. So, uh, and I think it also co- coincided with the with the popularity of uh, and the more and uh, usage of ADSB yeah. uh, data, and so. That, so much for that idea. So, uh, I can, Guys. yeah, I can, as you said, I can understand the desire for people to, you know, especially people that have private jets that are, you know, parts of big corporations that are in competition with other big corporations or companies. Yes. And they don't want their competition to know where they're flying because that could yeah. indicate to them you know what what they're up to and you know, and, deals you know going
5: on. We, we we do a lot of backfilling for large corporations mm-hmm. and i don't you know when i fly i don't know if we're filling in because their jets down or whatever reason but you know if you're going to a meeting and you don't want people to know about it are you going to take your plane that's got the registration for the company you're going to take one of ours that's just registered to right. the office and you know where my company's out of
2: yeah you know that'd be the way to do it well, makes sense um well, if you're uh, somebody out there listening who wants to know more about this, uh, you have to operate a U.S.-registered aircraft, which is ADS-B equipped, which is probably all of them, right? Um, yes. Use a third-party call sign and uh, flying in U.S. territorial airspace, um, mainland, uh, the mainland, Alaska, Hawaii, and other U.S. territories. So, um, yeah, so it, it's somewhat limited, this, this um, going incognito kind of thing that the faa has uh i'm sure elon there. musk and
6: taylor swift are
2: listening to us right yeah. now. yeah i'm sure yeah you're right liz i'm sure why wouldn't that why wouldn't they be listening to us taylor swift and elon musk come on all right um i just i thought i'd throw that out there i don't know who listens to our show that could possibly benefit from learning yeah, more about this but
5: it's interesting I'll be honest I'm really surprised if they just hasn't found a way to charge people to mask their ADSB data and call mm-hmm. sign and do it that way but I guess um, there too I think
4: it would be more out. lucrative to charge people to look at the ADSB
2: data
3: yeah that too
2: yeah good point yep all right well that's it for the getting to know us segment and that means it's time for some coffee
6: Johnny, how much about more about coffee? No
2: thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea, and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. A cup. Oh yeah! Thanks for singing with me, Liz. Uh, the Coffee Fund—it's yeah, your way, dear listener—to promote and support the show financially if you have the financial resources to do that. A um, couple of different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, basically a PayPal donation page. And uh, since our last episode, we have a contributor to our show named Steven Simpson. Thank you, Steven, for giving us a nice Thank contribution. Feedback from him too. And we do have some feedback from steven as well and uh, the other way to support us financially and be part of the coffee bar club or the coffee fund cadre is via patreon uh, patreon.com airline pilot guy is where you'd find us on patreon and that's a way to pledge a certain amount per episode and um, you're charged on your credit card or whatever it supports us and it can be as little as a buck per episode or more uh, depending on uh, your financial resources. So if you're interested in helping us in that way, please go over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's start off with this from Robert. In Tucker, Georgia, not Robert Tucker. Um, He says, on a Beach King Air out west. Congratulations to my friend Matt, who graciously agreed to spend some time on a short podcast with me to share some stories as a new pilot out west. The link below should advance to a particular segment about the unique ninth seat on his plane that's rarely used that I think that the crew may particularly enjoy. Okay, well, let's see if he's right about that. We're going to play this audio feedback from the Roberts podcast.
0: So, wait a minute. The ninth person has to sit on the toilet?
12: If we were to carry a ninth passenger, yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, there is a cushioned seat on top of the toilet. So, yeah. it, it is technically an official seat, but we don't tend to use it. The most we will book our flights today. And so I assume this toilet is used really in emergencies then. Yeah. I mean, the longest our flight time generally is, is two hours and we don't generally make people aware that there is one. Um, (laughs) We always, all all of our ground service agents, and I'll tell you why in a second, all of our ground service agents at our locations tell everyone now's the time to use the restroom before we start boarding. So everyone goes off and uses the restroom before they get on board. Um, (laughs) It's because it, the 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 toilet is a cassette toilet. It's like what you would have in your, in a camper van or something. And so, who would have the joy of having to empty that if someone does use it? Me. <laughs> um, so not only are, I, are you the first officer, you, you have to uh, clean up every, after everyone too. Yeah. I do. I am the cabin crew. I am the the baggage loader. I am the toilet cleaner. I am all of those wrapped into one. Um, so, yeah, we we try not to uh, publicize that there is a, a bathroom on the air, aircraft. And trust me, it's not the prettiest because you'd sit next to the cargo in the tail um, and you just have sliding doors that kind of separate you from the main cabin. It's not a fully enclosed toilet cubicle. So it, it would not be a pleasant experience for anyone. Yep.
2: Wow. So now you know... More than you well, want was great. to know about that ninth seat on a King Air. Hey, Stephen, you've flown a lot of yes. uh, smaller aircraft. Uh, yep. is this, this Does this sound familiar to you it, in it, any way?
5: You know, it sounds familiar, and I've been very fortunate that uh, my two business jet aircraft that I've flown have nice toilets. Um, uh, the one I'm currently on is more akin to this King Air one. Um, mm-hmm. the, the big rule is... Number one only. If you have to go number two, wait till the end of the flight because the tank is not that big, and the smell just oh no. comes through the plane. Yeah, so it's it's, it's bad. Emergency um, only. Yeah, emergency only. And um, you know, as far as cleaning and everything, it's not that bad actually.
2: Eyeball um, <laughs> <You know. laughs> box. <but laughs> yeah, box said, "Excuse me, sir. Would you mind getting up for this for a sec so I can poop in your seat?" <laughs>
5: you you, you know (laughs) yeah the the, um
4: the
5: the challenger comes standard the the 300 series challenger comes standard with the belted lav and in most cases as for if you have a flight attendant on board and you don't have a jump seat they'll sit there on Mm -hmm. take take takeoff and landing or if it's turbulent um the Phenom comes optional with a belted lav. Um, my company, our standard configuration, doesn't have it. We have two planes that do have it. But in most of the time, it doesn't work for weight and balance because it's too much weight for having eight people on board the aircraft. And not only that, it, it is a little cramped back there if you're actually having to sit on there.
6: Cramps so. back there? Oh.
2: Yeah. It's
6: not good having cramps.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: gives new meaning to cramp.
3: <laughs>
2: um, okay, well Thanks for sharing that, Robert Yeah, yeah that Appreciate very that
3: insightful. Very insightful in house. Yes. Um,
2: I don't know where, where Captain Nip went He decided uh, to be my, shy My
4: camera something. seems to have
2: stopped for some oh, reason the captain So I'm stopped, just going to yeah. leave and come back again Camera stopped working So he's going to leave us momentarily uh, So while he does that We're going to go ahead and move on uh, To this next feedback item uh, some audio feedback from our friend Tom uh, in Missouri and uh, it has to do with um, uh, an, something that we talked about on previous shows called guns and T S a security. So here we go. Hey,
11: captain Jeff, uh, Tom from Missouri long time, no talk. It's good to uh, send a feedback finally after uh, Probably a couple of years. I haven't stopped listening, still out here listening, um, and uh, really enjoy the podcast. I want to say congratulations on your retirement. I'm uh, late doing that, and I apologize for that, but we'll just call it fashionably late. Um, I hope so far you're enjoying it, and I hope at some point I'm able to see you when you're passing through Missouri in that RV. Yeah. Hey, I was listening to episode 603. Excuse me. And you guys are talking about all the guns being confiscated at security. And that's something I wanted to comment on. Um, I don't talk about uh, guns much. It's something I, I like to keep private, but I feel like this is a safe place to bring that up. So I will say that I can see how it's possible to get to security and forget you're carrying a gun it's not responsible, but I can see where it's possible. And let me tell you how I think it's possible. So I'm a concealed carry uh, permit holder here in Missouri. I've been a concealed carry permit holder for many years. I've been a concealed carry permit holder in, in pretty much every state I've lived in. And a job I used to have, I got moved all over the country. And with the exception of New York, I was able to secure a carry permit in all of those states. But as a carry, as a gun carrier, it is a responsibility that you should not take lightly. And what I have done is I've had plenty of training, and I still continue training on a regular basis. I have a, a, a guy here in Missouri that I see at least once a year, if not more, and go through continuing training, and I run drills, and it's just a responsible thing to do. Um. And I've never had an instance where I've gone to the airport and forgotten I've had my gun. I think it's irresponsible to do that. However, there was one time excuse me, that I did go to the airport. I'd been working all day long. Um, I had a late flight. I was running late. I got to the airport and I reached in my pockets to empty out my pockets. And I had a pocket knife. I carry a pocket knife. If I'm flying somewhere, I leave it at home that day. Since I worked all day, I just forgot about it. And guess what? I had to lose my pocket knife. I wasn't able to take it through security. It was my irresponsibility that caused that to happen. So the consequences were is I, I had to lose my pocket knife. I can see a gun holder doing that. I personally know people that carry guns that, in my opinion, don't take it seriously enough and are not 100% responsible. And I could see them getting to the airport and being like, oh, my gosh, I have a gun. I forgot all about it. What do I do now? And it's, you know, in my opinion, those people shouldn't be carrying guns. But, you know, we have the Second Amendment and uh, it's easy to carry a gun here in the in the states. Um, I know a lot of people in other countries don't understand the gun culture, Um it's just something I was raised with, something I continue to be part of. And the job that I have now, I'm a, I'm a director for a local TV station. I do the morning shows. I go to work at 2 a.m. I will tell you that most of the girls that are on TV have stalkers. And occasionally, those stalkers will show up at the station. And they don't mind doing it at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I very much feel more comfortable because I have a gun. Um, fortunately, I've never had to use it. I hope I never do. That's the last thing that we wanna do. However, I just feel more comfortable that I have it in those situations. If somebody were to break in the building and, uh, and cause trouble. So hopefully that gives a little bit of insight on you know how it's possible for it to happen. Now I have traveled with a handgun many, many times over the years. Uh, Nick Camacho talked about that. I too had an issue once in California when I, I told the, the lady at the check-in counter that I was carrying a gun in my suitcase. And uh, you know, she kind of flipped out a little bit. Uh, but here in Missouri, I go to Florida quite often. My wife's family's down there. I've never had trouble at, at you know, anywhere else in the country um i know a lot of people do it it's easy to do there's a uh i have a special locked case that goes inside my suitcase that actually cable ties inside my suitcase so somebody can't just reach in my suitcase and grab that and yank it out and take it it's actually secured inside the suitcase so i have to declare that to the ticket agent they always want to see the gun is unloaded They'll open, you know, they'll have me open the, the, the case, show them the weapon that it's unloaded. I always have a gun lock on my gun, so it's clear when you look at it, that it not only is unloaded, but it's also secured. And, um, and then the ammunition has to go in a separate case, also inside the suitcase. And then um, uh, I'll lock that case. They'll usually tape a sticker or a, a form to the outside of that case. And then there's a TSA lock on my bag. And then what, what always happens, at least here in uh, when I fly in and out of St. Louis, is the ticket agent in St. Louis always walks me to the TSA screeners that screen the luggage. And as the TSA guys screen my luggage, they'll give me the high sign that it's good. And then I can go on and go through security and go to the gate. So it's an easy process. It's an ex- you know a couple extra steps you have to do. But again, if you're going to be responsible, those are things that you want to do. And I will say, um, you know, my permit to carry a gun is reciprocal with many other states. It's my responsibility to know those states. Um, There's a state that neighbors us here that if I go in that state carrying a concealed weapon, as soon as I cross that state line, I'm a felon. Okay, it's my responsibility to know that. So when I go into that state and I'm several times a year, I'm in that state, I have to make sure that I'm not carrying a concealed weapon when I cross that state line. There's things that I have to do to store that gun properly in my vehicle so that I'm not going to be a felon if I happen to get pulled over for speeding or, you know, something else. So it's totally on the gun owner to make sure you know the rules and you abide by those rules. So anyway, hopefully that clears, clears things up a little bit. Um, I can see how it's possible to take a gun through security. I still don't think it's a responsible thing to do. And whatever consequences there are, those people have to suffer those. So, all right, guys. Um, Captain Jeff, I was thinking uh, the other day, I've been listening to this podcast since episode 90. That's a long time. And I really appreciate all that you do and all that the rest of the crew does. It's still such an enjoyable podcast. And I think the best thing, and, you know, we've said this a million times, it's, we've heard this from so many different people over the years, but I'll reiterate it again. You don't just have a podcast. You've created a community and you have much to be proud. You know, you have much to be proud about for that is that this community exists and it's huge. It's worldwide. And uh, it's just really cool that you've done that. So thanks again. Keep up the good work. And uh, we'll see you soon, hopefully.
2: I hope so as well, Tom. Thank you so much for the, those last words. Do appreciate that. And Liz, here we go. Thank you for saying so regarding the building of the community, Tom. So usually she gets on to me because I downplay that thank but thank you uh, you
3: did you're, you're, you're very gracious jeff.
2: i'm trying to get you're better you done good <laughs> you
3: have done but, good
2: jeff uh, but you know it's uh and i've i've met up uh on on several meetups with uh, tom he actually uh made his way all the way over to uh dana uh, dana's uh hosting of the uh what was that the 300, 300, 300th three hundred yeah uh okay. yeah and um also uh, speaking of Dana uh, Tom just mentioned that he started listening on, sh- on episode 90. I believe episode 90 was that episode Tony. where Tony <laughs> aka Dana Tony. Uh, was uh, the uh, w- w- my guest host and uh, yeah anyway and uh, so it's been a long about you long listening
6: way. so later in the show we're gonna give out an, uh, an address Yeah could send in.
2: Right, you're right about that. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Jeff's mooch docking database, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, you can you can put your name in the in the in the hat, in the ringer, in the database spreadsheet, whatever you want to call it, uh, Tom. Uh, but anyway, I look forward to definitely seeing you on my travels around the uh, country, and uh, and and thank you for talking about the the TSA and the and guns and security and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's very incumbent upon a person, especially if you have a concealed carry, to know what the rules are and to get proper training and be proficient at uh, using a weapon. And uh, and as as you mentioned, you know, he talked about like going to one of the states that uh, is adjacent to his state, and you know, as soon as he crosses the line, and if he's still concealing a weapon, he's uh, a felon and that's really one of you know. I kind of looked into this and uh, realized that I'm not going to do this um, as an RV driver because I'm going to be cutting through all kinds of states throughout yeah. my travels, and it just sounds to me like just way too much of a hassle to. You don't want to be in the slammer. You know, have to yeah. I don't want to spend any time in my just retirement jail. Just buy a in flamethrower instead. Okay. Uh, yeah, a flamethrower. That's uh, yeah. no, probably yeah. gonna, or a bazooka exactly. or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you need yeah. a couple
4: of missiles mounted in the roof of your RV, anyway. <laughs> yeah. so.
2: That sounds like fun. Mm. I think we have time for one more piece of feedback before we go to this episode's plain tale. And uh, this is uh, item number seven it's uh, some audio feedback from Grant McCarran and uh, Evan. Evan Shu, yes. I'm so sorry. long as he doesn't talk about balloons no, again. No balloon. Yeah. Well, it says, Hi, Jeff and crew. I went for a flight with Evan Shue uh, last weekend in a Cirrus SR22G3, which has a four-bladed propeller and the registration VHKJN, uh, a.k.a. Cajun. Afterwards, we recorded a quick hello and update on what we've been doing lately. Hopefully, the attached MP3 is worthy of inclusion in a future episode of yours. Yes, you made the cut. Can Grant. you put
4: that first picture up again, Jeff? Hasn't that airplane got amazing speed brakes? Exactly. Yeah, well, it, it air brakes it really slows, that, slows uh, down fast. I've <laughs> never seen
2: anything like it. That's a door Remarkable. Plug. door plugs <laughs> slash speed brakes. Yeah. Anyway, so let's uh, let's listen to the f- audio feedback that they sent us.
0: Airline pilot guy show. This is Grant from Plane Crazy Down Under, and I am joined by a very special uh, friend of mine, Evan from Down Under. Yeah, Evan Shoe. <laughs> last time we sent something to you together, we were in the basket of the balloon while flying close to uh, Bacchus Marsh. That's true. Yeah, today we've uh, we've jumped on a Cirrus, t- hashtag Team Fourblade, <laughs> and uh, taken Cajun up to uh, Tokamol yep. uh, to hang out at the Drome Cafe, uh, check out the aircraft, and uh, I got to record some content with Alan Arthur about his P-40, and uh, Matt Henderson about the... Uh, Historical significance of that aerodrome, the museum they've got there, and the fantastic cafe. Evan, what was it like to uh, fly up there for brunch?
13: Oh, it was the best day for it. Oh, you, blue you skies. cannot see a cloud in the sky at all. Yeah. And it was smooth, and, uh, yeah, we just had a wonderful trip up and back. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: wheels, wheels off the ground at 8 o'clock, or well, 8.15, so they're not long after 9. So, yeah, that contributed to the smoothness, plus being at about, what, 7,000. But on the way back, we picked up a few lumps around Kilmore Gap and the hills coming into Melbourne, but, you know, that's to be expected.
13: Yeah, we had had to get back to give the plane to the next client, Um, so we just made sure that we uh, were quick, and uh, thankfully we got in just in time.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But uh, yeah, this is a very belated congrats to Jeff for the birthday, the uh, you know, retirement and the 600th episode and all the other things I've been meaning to get to you about because you know I'm slack, something, something very busy, something, something slacker. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been meaning to send in so lots of congrats and thought here with Evan, perfect time to do it. Yeah,
13: congrats, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, yeah, so to Jeff and the crew, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful... We're looking after summer for you. It's a cracker summer day, 31 today, something like 34 to 37 to tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's, that's centigrade. Celsius, yep. Yeah, Celsius, centigrade, same, same. Um, it's probably almost pretty similar to what some of the Midwest are getting um, on a warm day at the moment, except they're Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no,
13: it's beautiful. Shorts and T-shirt, happy.
0: Yeah. Um, do you want to give the guys an update on what you're doing for a crust these days?
13: Well, um, working on... What would be called in the States an ANP. Hmm. So, my uh, airframe and power plant license, and in Australia we call it the LAME, L-A-M-E. Uh Right now, I'm an AME, so I'm an aircraft maintenance engineer and I'll work on
0: the license part. <laughs> so, yeah, the licensing is hard because CASA keeps shifting the goalposts, yeah. don't they?
13: But uh, yeah, I fix the uh, Cirruses. that uh, some of them I get to fly, yeah. and uh, the, the one we fly today I actually you know, uh, maintain. So, i have got to make sure I do everything correctly.
0: <laughs> Anyhow, that's enough rambling from me. And me, Evan, thanks so much for a great day flying. And uh, congrats again to Jeff and the crew. May there be many, many more episodes. See you guys.
2: Thanks so much for sending in that audio feedback. And, uh, Evan, I don't know, it sounds pretty lamey to me. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah,
4: definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to work out what the symbol was on uh, Grant's hat. It looked like a kind of a samurai dragon with wings. Uh, I, it didn't quite work out how it, you know, um, fixed with the balloons. Pop so. that
2: back up uh, on his cap. There we go. Yeah,
4: can you zoom in on that?
2: No, she can't zoom
4: in. Oh, that's a shame.
2: Yeah.
4: Oh well. Oh, there you go.
6: He can let us know.
2: Yeah.
4: yeah all right. Can, well, thank yeah. you for taking
2: the time to uh, record some audio, and it's always great to hear what you all are up to down on the other uh, side of the Earth.
4: Perfect Indeed. timing.
2: All right. Hello, yes. Uh, Liz is telling us this is perfect timing for our uh, episode or our, what's the? Uh, our, 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 our installment. Our, 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 <laughs> our installment. By <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, is the day for Pirate uh, <laughs> Tales. So the old pilot, <laughs> <laughs> arr, it's a Ar. sea <laughs> and avoid. Here we go. The old pilot's plain
4: tale. See and avoid. It's the summer of 1971 and Helen Reddy is singing about hiking down to the canyon store to buy a bottle of wine and having such a good time. I've no doubt that the nine prominent Salt Lake members of the Fishy Trout and Drinking Society returning from their deep-sea fishing trip were feeling equally relaxed as they boarded their flight back home from Los Angeles. They were getting onto a Hughes Airwest DC-9 Flight 706, the forerunner of Captain Jeff's beloved mad dog and angry puppy belonging to a new regional airline, purchased and renamed by Howard Hughes. Hughes Airwest aircraft were to become instantly recognisable by their banana yellow fuselage and tail logo. Their pilots that day were both around 50 years of age and were highly experienced, with more than 30,000 flying hours between them. On November 9345, the DC-9 pilots completed their preparation and departed LAX, bound for Salt Lake. A little before them, the U.S. Marine Corps F-4B Phantom II, Bureau Number 151458, departed Mountain Home Air Force Base in southwest Idaho, bound for Naval Air Station Fallon in Nevada. 458 had been part of a formation of two from the 323rd Marine Fighter Attack Squadron, part of 11 group on the 3rd Air Wing, and they were on a cross-country flight from El Toro in Orange County. Their first stop-off was to refuel at Mountain Home, but the crew of 458 had suffered a radio failure on the way in. After refuelling, the flight leader carried on to their next destination, McCord Air Force Base, instructing his wingman to effect repairs and then return to El Tolo. Fixing the radio was a simple matter of replacing a fuse, but additional faults were discovered. The F-4's transponder, the system that enhances the radar return, was inoperative. The oxygen system had a leak and the radar performance was degraded, particularly in the air-to-air mode. The technicians at Mountain Home were unable to fix the additional snags, but despite this, the crew were able to persuade their superiors to allow them to continue on to Fallon as originally planned. So, without a transponder, with a dodgy radar and oxygen system, the crew took off. En route, the oxygen system failed completely, and they were forced to finish the flight at low level. Late in the afternoon, 458 departed Fallon, following a route that took them across the Fresno, Bakersfield and Los Angeles air corridors. In that same summer of 71, only a few weeks later, but 5,000 miles away across the Pacific Ocean, and all Nippon Airways, Boeing 727, Flight 58, was departing from Shitozi Airport bound for Haneda Airport in Tokyo. The aircraft, Julia Alpha 8329, was a mere three months old and the pilots were enjoying flying in the immaculate flight deck with the switches and paintwork all shiny and unblemished by wear and tear. Most of the passengers were from Fuji in the Shizuka Prefecture and were members of a society of war-bereaved families returning from a trip to Hokkaido. The ANA flight crew were capable and experienced, and included an American flight engineer. They were cruising at 28,000 feet, and their route was going to take them over a Japanese Air Self-Defense Force airbase at Matsushima. As they set course, a pair of Japanese-built F-86F Sabre fighters were preparing to fly an air combat training mission. The Mitsubishi fighters were a Japanese version of the famous North American jet fighters and one of the primary aircraft in the Japanese Air Force's inventory. It was, however, a fairly basic machine, having been developed in the late 1940s, although the Japanese variant had improved high-speed agility, but it lacked a radar system to detect other aircraft. Flying the fighters were a young sergeant, who was still a trainee pilot with only 21 hours on the sabre, and in the other machine his instructor and leader, a captain. The pair of F-86 fighters were starting to manoeuvre over the northern end of Honshu Island, in a training area about five miles from the airway J-11L. Whilst twisting and turning, the leader inadvertently flew out of the training airspace and, with his wingman, crossed the airway. Realizing his error, the captain turned back with the aim of re-entering the training area, but now had to transit the airway once again. Whilst doing so, he caught sight of Flight 58, the ANA 727, and realized that there was a conflict. The sergeant hadn't seen the aircraft since he was watching his leader but his instructor called over the radio for him to break away from the airliner. Back at Los Angeles, Flight 706 was on climb-out passing 12,000 feet and had been handed over to Los Angeles Air Route Traffic Control Centre. Centre advised them to head 040 degrees until they picked up the daggett VOR beacon and then head directly towards it. The flight was under instrument flight rules and on radar guidance from the centre. The Phantom, however, was operating under visual flight rules and they had deviated from their route to avoid the heavy air traffic in the Los Angeles area as well as being forced to climb as the weather deteriorated. The pilot climbed his mighty Phantom in full afterburner and they very soon reached 15,500 feet at a speed of 420 knots. Flight 706 had also reached 15,500 feet and been given two radar traffic advisories concerning other aircraft in their vicinity. But, crucially, despite there being two development controllers and two supervising controllers observing the scopes, nobody saw a primary return from the F-4 fighter. Of course, had the Phantom's transponder been serviceable, the primary radar return would have been clearly enhanced by the transponder equipment. Visibility from the Phantom's cockpit is limited, and in order to visually check all the airspace around them, pilots regularly carry out belly checks to see what's beneath them. This was often achieved by a simple wing drop – but today the pilot chose to roll his aircraft through a full 360 degrees. After this, his backseater was heads down, looking at the radar in its mapping mode, since the air-to-air mode was useless to him. But about a minute and twenty seconds later, he caught sight of a DC-9 in his peripheral vision. He shouted a warning to his pilot, but before he'd even finished, he felt the F-4 attempt to roll out of the way of the airliner. The Phantom struck the DC-9 just forward of the beam on the left-hand side. Its tail section ripped through the forward fuselage of the airliner, parting the cockpit from the rest of the body, which was seen to cartwheel through the air before plunging downwards. The F-4's tail parted company with the rest of the aircraft, and the Phantom began to tumble through the air in a cloud of debris. The RIO, the radar intercept officer in the back, waited about five seconds whilst observing numerous warning lights illuminate in the cockpit. Then he ejected from the fighter. A successful escape followed, and he parachuted down to the ground without injury. Out of the 51 passengers and crew involved in the collision, he would be the sole survivor. His pilot had also attempted to eject, but the Phantom ejector seats were not equipped to burst through the aircraft's thick canopy. Instead, the canopy was designed to be unlocked by one of two systems and then fall or be lifted away by the airflow. Once gone, a wire on the canopy pulled an interruptor block away that allowed the seat to safely fire. There had been other cases when the front canopy had failed to jettison after the aft canopy was jettisoned first, probably due to aerodynamic suck. The modifications to correct this occurrence, by incorporating ballistic thrusters to the canopy, were in the process of being installed and would have been fitted to 458 only a month later. Over Japan, the Sabre banked left to avoid the collision, but it was already too late, and the sergeant's left wing struck the 727's left tailplane, severely damaging it. Now missing his wing, the trainee pilot's fighter entered a fierce spin to the left, which prevented him from ejecting. In desperation, he jettisoned his canopy, unbuckled his seat straps, and manually bailed out of the crippled aircraft. Now free, he deployed his parachute landing safely, whilst his F-86 plunged into a nearby rice paddy field. Out of control, Flight 58 had entered a steep dive from 26,000 feet, and the aircraft disintegrated in mid-air. At the time, the ANA 727 crash was the world's deadliest civil aviation disaster "'killing all 162 passengers and crew on board. "'The aftermath of the Japanese accident was quite disturbing. "'The Director-General of the Defence Agency, "'now known as the Ministry of Defence, "'and General Yasuhiro Uida, the Chief of the Air Staff, "'resigned to take responsibility for the incident.' Both of the Sabre pilots were tried in court, accused of involuntary manslaughter. Whilst the sergeant was initially sentenced to two years and eight months in prison, he was eventually acquitted due to his inexperience. His instructor, on the other hand, was found guilty of criminally negligent manslaughter and sentenced to four years in prison in addition to being discharged from the Air Force. The findings of the NTSB into the Marine Phantom versus the DC-9 collision indicated that it occurred due to the failure of both crews to see and avoid each other. In doing so, they also highlighted the difficulty in visually acquiring other aircraft due to a number of factors, but primarily the rate of closure, which gave the pilots only a marginal capability to detect, assess and avoid the collision. Other causal factors included the co-mingling of IFR and VFR traffic in an area of limited radar coverage. They commented that the Phantom crew could have avoided the collision had they requested a radar advisory service, particularly since they lacked a serviceable transponder. The NTSB report highlighted the difficulties in visually avoiding other aircraft. Flight 706 and the Marine F-4 had approached each other at around 1,000 feet per second, 300 metres per second, similar to the muzzle velocity of a forty-five calibre bullet. The aircraft were theoretically visible to each other for 35 seconds before the collision. Real-world conditions would reduce that time, such as the cleanliness of windshields, the location of window frames, atmospheric light scatter, other tasks within the cockpit, alertness, the lack of contrast against the background, the lack of relative motion when on a collision path and empty-field myopia, to name a few. This form of myopia, or short-sightedness, occurs when staring into a clear sky. Unable to find something to focus on, the eye's focal length shortens, until something does come into focus, usually the windshield only a few feet in front. In order to visually detect a distant aircraft, the eye must remain focused at infinity, something it is reluctant to do. Combined, all these factors reduce the 35 seconds to a realistic 10 to 20 seconds. But even had the other aircraft been sighted, that might not have been long enough to avoid the collision. After sighting, The target must be assessed as a collision threat, which, due to its small size, takes around three seconds. Two seconds are required to assess the need for avoidance and how to accomplish it. A further three seconds are required for control inputs and the aircraft's response. All of this cuts down the likelihood of a successful miss. An early detection required one of the pilots to put the target aircraft within their fovea centralis, the small area of the eye's retina that can detect fine detail. This little pit of cones is responsible for sharp vision, and the rest of the retina provides our peripheral vision. It's only a couple of millimetres, perhaps a sixteenth of an inch across and can be represented by the size of a fist held at arm's length. The peripheral is good at detecting movement, but an aircraft on a collision path has no relative movement, so it must be found by scanning our foveal vision across it. When the target is horribly close, it starts to blossom in size, and our periphery will detect it, but by then it's likely to be too late. The Board also recommended recording equipment to be installed at all FAA ATC radar displays and that all ATC conversations at control positions should be recorded. They advised that climate descent corridors should extend from the terminal control areas to the base of the air routes to protect IFR traffic transiting between the two. In addition, they suggested that better coordination exists between civil and military traffic and improvement of terminal area charts. They also wanted an exploration of the feasibility of collision avoidance assistance as an aid to the scene concept. Looking back, we can see that these and several other suggestions have indeed been implemented following this accident. The NTSB also released a report summarizing the findings of a study of mid-air collisions, such as the two in this tale, which led to the U.S. military agreeing to cut down the number of VFR flights and operate many more under IFR rules, which required military aircraft to file flight plans and obey civilian air traffic controllers. The Airline Pilots Association and the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organisation issued a joint statement asking the FAA for a series of safety regulations that included stricter adherence to the 250 knots below 10,000 foot limitation, as well as for aircraft operating under VFR. Other demands included the installation of transponders in all aircraft to amplify aircraft's presence on radar screens, and the re-evaluation of visual flight rules due to the increased complexity congestion and speed of modern air travel in the aftermath of these and other similar accidents and incidents the FAA did a study of the year 1968 and discovered that a quarter of the 2,230 near-miss encounters had involved military aircraft. In addition, an NTSB study in 1971 reported that 204 out of the 396 U.S. jet airliner fatalities since 1967 had occurred in mid-air collisions. Shockingly, jet airliners were, on average, involved in at least one near miss a day, with Los Angeles and New York being particularly high-risk areas. These were all lessons hard learned at the time, but it was a wake-up call to aviation regulators around the world. Changes were going to happen, but it took much longer than was ideal. However, the systems and techniques that we now employ daily do a good job of keeping us apart and safe.
2: That they do. Wow, another great plain tale, Captain Nick.
4: Thanks very much, Jeff. And to think these accidents were more than 50 years ago, and they were saying right back then, we need a system like TCAS. They didn't know it was going to be TCAS, did they? But, you know, it's taken a while, but, yeah. you know, now we have. Mind you, how long has TCAS been around? 20 years? Um, I'm guessing. Probably more than yeah. that. Um, but uh, that and uh, ADS-B, which is more applicable to GA uh, aircraft, in fact, everybody, uh, just I- enhances our air picture whenever we're flying. So we're much more aware of aircraft around us and can handle the sort of um, closure rates because we know where to look. Um, but it al- also emphasizes the need for a, a proper visual scan From everybody, you know, you you see the aircraft flying around, uh, newspapers in the window, everyone (laughs) ignoring the view outside. And uh, you think to yourself, well, uh, yeah, it's not the most brilliant thing to do in the world.
2: No, (laughs) no, it's not. (laughs) You know, you really do, or I do, um, and I think I suspect a lot do, uh, take for granted uh, what uh, information that TCAS displays give us. As uh, professional airline pilots and professional bizjet pilots, et cetera. Um, and, and when you realize it, it's when you get into an airplane and the TCAS system is inoperative. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, <laughs> like, oh, how are <laughs> yeah, we going to see anything? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It was,
4: yeah, all of a sudden life becomes a bit more worrisome.
2: Yeah. You know, I had not heard of either of these um, accidents, honestly, but I do remember uh, and recall that the PSA seven twenty seven over San Diego, and one that occurred just a couple of miles from where I grew up in California. The uh, uh, I think it was Aero Mexico um, DC nine uh, crash in um, Cerritos, California. Um, those were the two that I think that finally just pushed the legislation forward and and made TCAS. Uh, happen.
6: Greg Peterson has some
2: comment here. Uh, Greg Peterson says, looks like TCAS has been around since about 1981. Huh? Oh, there you go. That's a
4: long
2: time. Wow. I don't I don't
5: I don't don't
2: think it was implemented by uh, by all the airlines because I remember flying at Delta in the 727 and I I think for the first few years we I remember it being installed or maybe the first couple of years. I don't know. Oh, Greg! By the way, uh, your your former employer. I'm wearing I'm wearing my special uh, <laughs> big ass fans uh, shirt. Uh, with just a little glimpse Is of the yeah. you,
5: you know something interesting though. One of the slides had the flight path of that DC nine, mm-hmm. um, and the way it was going. You you you. They don't do that anymore. Now out of LAX, you go. You either go up the coast to Santa Barbara before you can, or you go past. Um, Point Magoo before you come back in- inland, or you go down around Long Beach before you go back east, you don't cut across those mountains anymore.
3: And mm. I, I yeah. have to well, wonder
5: then. if that this accident played a factor in them redrawing the airspace there. Maybe. I don't know,
4: but if they'd given me that departure in a 340, I might not have cleared the mountains. No, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, wasn't there a, um,
5: <laughs> some Asian airline a couple years ago that we covered that they? They got a vector like this, and they about smacked the mountain because yeah. they weren't given mm. the stretches to climb.
4: Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you're right. right. It, it's a worry, yeah. uh, indeed. But uh, in the military, in the U.S. military, Jeff, you would have remembered doing a transits to your play area. Uh, Mm -hmm. under IFR conditions Mm -hmm. yeah exactly right and that was another big thing that uh, stuck in my mind because we very rarely went IFR in the Royal Air Force but this had become now a procedure in the US military and uh, I remember most guys saying oh yeah we fly on the flight plan go out to our play area and that's when we can start maneuvering right we we
2: didn't have those restrictions. Yeah, that's, uh, in fact, uh, Columbus, Mississippi is where I went through undergraduate pilot training. And weather there is not like Arizona, uh, you know, clear <laughs> and a million every day. And uh, from the very first sorties that you're flying, you're still learning how to fly a, a jet. Uh, you're flying uh, radials and DMEs and arcs uh, to your practice area. So you, you get to become a pretty proficient pilot. Um, Instrument pilot uh, when you're you, uh, when you're uh, out out at uh, out of Columbus, Mississippi. You,
5: you know, I don't know. Maybe if, if it's changed since you were there, Jeff. But is that where they train all the Air Force ATC staff?
2: Um, not sure where they do that.
5: Okay, I, 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 I've been told it was there because mm-hmm. could be. <laughs> back do, I, to- do they
4: have a kindergarten there?
5: I, I, it's got a, a preschool, probably. Um, just, I, 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 on more than one occasion, going into Golden Triangle, you know, that's between Starkville and Columbus. There, I've been given some very strange instructions. Like you want us
3: to do it's, what? You know,
2: it's,
5: it's a visual day, you know. It's VFR. We're just coming down, and mm-hmm. then we're like ten miles from the field. And instead of cleared for a visual to a runway, we're cleared for the overhead break to the runway. And we're just like
2: unable.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah.
2: Steven. All right. yeah, welcome. I, uh, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah that's sure. good fun. They that's told me the I had to do it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so long as you can pull 4G
2: in your airplane, that'll be fine. Uh, I,
5: I don't we, think the 200 was capable of doing such probably
2: things. Probably. <laughs> you wouldn't want to do much Neil more than two and a half.
3: Area,
2: <laughs> Neil wants to know about my play area. Well, what? <laughs> Neil, that's kind of a personal thing. <laughs> Uh yeah, my play area. I keep with me everywhere I go.
6: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Very glad um, to hear it. You Does are you have to though?
5: depart now?
2: Uh, Stephen, are you, uh, having to go or are you going to hang around a little little bit? Are
5: we going to do this one about the, uh, American guy in Phoenix? Is this what this Uh, next one says?
2: let's see. Yeah, we could do that if you'd like.
5: Yeah, I'm going to stick around for that because I got a comment.
2: Okay. (laughs) So this is, uh, Greg Peterson sent this to us. Um, he used to be our, uh, biggest ass fan, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, now he doesn't work for that company, but I am wearing the... We're in the logo uh, shirt. Uh, Yeah, I got it. Thanks. Um, And he sent, oh, you know what? I don't think I set up. I don't think I set this. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, cool. Thanks, Liz. I I couldn't find it. Yeah, I got got it. Um, Okay. Greg sent us this uh, video. He says, hello, crew. I hope everyone is doing well. Sending this on 9 February 2024, so it may be too late to make today's recording. I think, yeah, it was too late for last week's recording. Uh, but here's a story about a pilot who got, got, uh, got kind of testy because ATC called him out on his radio readbacks. I have a feeling I know what you all think, but I thought it would be uh, would make for a good discussion since you all have addressed these types of communications issues in the past. Uh, the article writer tries to show the pilot some grace, but it's still no excuse for using incorrect phraseology. These kinds of lapses in procedure are what get the Funyuns rolling, and they start lining up for a less than favorable outcome in the end. And he's right now, he's referring to an article from gatechecked.com. And um, anyway, he, he also sent us a little bit of other information in his feedback, but we're going to start off by playing this uh, incident that uh, he's, to which he's referring. Here we go. Good evening,
14: American 1479, wake up. American
10: 1479, beach approach, back 2-5 left. 2-5 left. American 1479, 2 six available tonight, if you like. We will take 2-6. American 1479, verify that's you.
14: That is American uh, fourteen seventy nine. Sorry, we'll, we'll take two
10: six. Fourteen seventy nine. Expect two six. Fly present heading, maintain five thousand.
14: Present heading five
10: thousand. Expect two six. Fourteen seventy nine. I think you failed <laughs> the call sign again. Fly present heading, maintain five thousand. All right, American fourteen seventy nine. Uh, present heading five thousand. <laughs> expect two six.
2: I'll Thank get you. it, boss. I'll get it.
10: Fourteen seventy nine. Scarborough ten o'clock. One four miles. Advising you can get in sight. Lower in just a minute. All right, it's inside American 1479. American 1479, turn left, heading 290, intercept the 26 localizer, maintain 4000.
14: 290 on the heading, maintain 4000, intercept 26 localizer, American 1479.
10: American 1479, cleared visual approach, runway 26. Over the visual
14: approach, American 1479. American
10: 1479, cleared visual approach, runway 26.
14: Uh, we've got a communication, bro. You're hearing this radio clear because I'm
10: saying what I need to say, but something's not happening. American 1479, you said cleared the approach. I need the runway assignment, which is runway 26, not 25 left or 25 right. You're cleared visual approach, runway 26, and you're not reading the back correctly. Clear for
14: the visual approach to runway 26, American 1479.
10: 1479, if you need a phone number, you can call in and we can talk about the taste, but you misread the last three transmissions without a call sign and without a runway assignment. 1479, do you need a phone number? I'm not going to waste my time. 1479, Contact Tower, 118.7.
14: 1187, American, 1479. Phoenix Tower, American, 1479. Visual runway
15: 26. 1479, Finnish Star, runway 26,
14: clear to land. Clear to land, runway 26, American
15: 1479. You okay? You seem very hostile. Skyward 3158, turn last taxi. Bravo, Charlie 11 to November, remain this frequency. Bravo, Charlie 11 to November, this frequency. Skyward 3158. You seem nice and kind.
2: Yeah,
15: no, he's just United stoking two, the fire. Two the two seven eight. United 278, Phoenix ground. Uh, yeah, there is, but um, you might get a delay up there. You will not get a delay for right. Yeah, we'll take 26, and uh, we'll wait for it. United uh, 278, thank you so much. Okay, just, just remind me whenever you push, and, and I'll get you up there. Yeah, we're pushing now, United uh, 278. Okay, United 278, Attention all aircraft. Unauthorized laser illumination event. Nine miles northeast of Sky Harbor at 4,000 feet. Green in color. American 1479, turn left at Bravo 6. Taxi Charlie 6, Charlie to India. Remain this frequency. Alright, left Bravo, Charlie, Charlie 6, or excuse me, Charlie 6, Charlie to India with you, American
3: 1479.
15: 1479, thank you. I think I know you're frustrated. I have a possible pilot deviation. Advise you contact Phoenix Approach on 602 306. 8309. Nah. Alright, 602 306. American 1479. You got it, Mac 1479. You're on Bravo, so you can taxi Bravo Sierra Charlie to India now. Alright, give that to us again for American 1479. 1479, Bravo. Sierra, Charlie to Point India. Remain this frequency. Alright, Bravo, Sierra, Charlie, India with you, American 1479. Ground United 278 with Tanger Race then 278, finish round, runway 25, right, taxi, I'm sorry, runway 26, taxi Charlie 8, Bravo. Alright, Charlie 8, Bravo, United, 278. I told you you'd have to remind me. I forget I'm married all the time. Ah <laughs> Sorry.
2: Okay. So where to start? Well, Stephen, you wanted us to cover this because you had something to say, so please say it.
5: Yeah. So like after this came out, I, I was flying like the next day and we were coming through New York and Washington Center, and they were very like getting very particular people about doing exactly what this controller is asking to do. need a read back with your call sign and the instruction. And it wasn't just for like runway crossing or runway taking off from, it was climbing, descending and everything. And I don't know, I I think it's probably the comments, a lot of things that have happened over the last year, people missing calls and getting calls wrong. Um, And I think that brings in a good point. And I I think the behavior of (laughs) the pilot of the controllers is something that we all need to probably talk about is to be professional um, yep. I don't think I, I think we don't mind getting made fun of a little bit or getting called out, but you need to be able to move past it. And I, I think this American pilot wasn't able to move past it because he thought he was in the right and then talks to the tower guy, and the tower guy's just egging it on. And I will say that there are certain centers in the airspace here that are very keen to egg stuff on or to um, entice you to react to what they're saying. And we, we really need to like look past that and stop it because it's going to end up getting somebody hurt at some point.
2: Yeah. I think initially the, and I'm all for being, Nice and casual on that kind of thing. Yes, there are times when, (laughs) yeah, I'm very casual. (laughs) Yeah, but there are times when you know it's important to read back certain parts of uh, instructions and that kind of thing. And um, I mean, uh, when I was thinking about you know we cleared for the approach, I can't tell you how many times. Even in Atlanta, which I believe has some of the best controllers in the world, you're coming in and we're doing simultaneous, sometimes three simultaneous parallel approaches in Atlanta and yes I'm talking to the controller that is uh, is giving me vectors for runway eight left he's not doing any vectors or clearances for any of the other runways but I can't tell you how many times that they said cleared you know intercept the localizer cleared for the approach and I'm okay. going okay and I always I'd always read back cleared to intercept the eighth left local I always made it a point. To yep. say, uh, not 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 as much of a point as this guy did, <laughs> like you know, pausing right. a second between each number or anything like that. But yeah. I try to make you know, like I understand that you're only controlling this runway, but I think it's still important that we actually use the Just the localizer the yep. to the runway because that's an important thing—the runway that you're it going is. to. Um, but um and again, it's not not always, but there were times when. Uh, that kind of bugged me. I'm thinking, well, you should, say, you know, I, not that I said, well, you know, you need to write down my yeah. cell phone number and we need to have a discussion or anything like that. But um, you know, it's just like, uh, and, and I, I kind of learned, you know, reback all holding, all, all runway holdback, and. What's the the term they use in the ATIS? Hold hold short. Hold short uh, instructions. Runway hold short instructions. And then I also learned in the Air Force, uh, headings, headings, altitudes, and altimeter settings. But uh, you you go through and you look through some of the documentation, and it really doesn't require a lot, but you have to at least acknowledge with your call sign. That is Mm -hmm. definitely something you have to do. And this guy started right off the bat uh, by not including his call sign. Now, he could make the yeah. argument, perhaps, he was the only one on the frequency at the time. It sounded like it wasn't yeah. very busy, and you could kind of recognize his voice. We all knew who that was, but still, the guy's being a stickler. Okay, take the little slap on the hand and uh, yep. slap on the wrist, and and don't screw it up from this point on, but he just kept doing it over and over again, probably did not on purpose, uh, and then he just started getting irritated. And then... I think that the the next controller, the tower controller, I think he made it a magnitude worse. Yes. Because, yeah, oh, you sound like you're a little upset. Oh, okay. I see. And it's like, okay, you're just like, tw- you're really kind of just you know, on. The turning the knob yeah. or, yeah, fanning the flames or adding fuel to the fire or something. You're just being a jerk now. And, yeah. and the other thing I wanted to say is that a, a possible pilot deviation. Really? I don't think that anywhere it says it, that if you're not making a proper readback, it, that that could a be a,
5: possible. It's possible. Yeah. You're going to have a conversation about it <laughs> and you're going to be wrong, but you're yeah. going to have a
3: conversation about it.
2: Right. Yeah. So that, I mean, not every, everybody was a little bit wrong here, but it, yeah. it could have just been completely avoided if the guy had been a little bit better with his standard yeah. radio terminology to begin with. And Absolutely. That would, we, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. That's exactly right.
6: Does Captain Nick have anything
5: so, to say? Anyway,
6: oops, you're on mute. Nick, Nick,
3: you're muted. You're
4: muted. No, I was just saying I was uh, perfect. I've actually been giving all my feedback for about 10 minutes now. You oh, haven't heard you? <laughs> you're wondering why we're not making <laughs> any. Can you read
3: it back, please? Yeah, I thought <laughs> what did well, you were you just
4: ignoring me. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it is very interesting because the controller was um, really being very helpful at the beginning. The guy uh, was allocated a runway and asked him if he wanted a different runway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oh yeah, that'd be great, please. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll give it to you then, no problems. So they're on a really good kind of, oh, buddy, buddy, I'll, I'll scratch your <laughs> back, you scratch mine. But then, don't forget, the controller is legally obliged to uh, check uh, the readbacks, and he's under the hammer. He he will really will be hauled over the coals if there's an incident, and his radio transmissions are found to be in error, and particularly if uh, he gave an instruction that wasn't read back properly and misinterpreted by a different aircraft. That would be a major sin, and he really, um, he might be able to tell from the voice. But not every radio transmission is clear. And, uh, you know, another aircraft might step in, mishearing the call. So there are lots of things that can go wrong on the stupid radios. So I, I'm initially very much with the controller's point of view. Uh, he is required, the pilot is required to acknowledge. Uh, the runway in particular and definitely put his call sign app- amend his app- append his call sign to his transmissions to stop other people grabbing that transmission and acknowledging it in error uh, and it's the controller's job to make sure that the right aeroplane has received the right instructions so a lot of sympathy for the controller um, the pilot now 1479 or whatever the call sign was that's the way Everybody is supposed to say it in the United States. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, I think it's yeah. even written American in the manual. Yes, this it is. is. It is. The, the, so why the guy then compounded his error by sounding out individual numbers? Cause that's, <laughs> you're definitely not
2: supposed to say uh, it. Uh, that uh, way. Oh, you mean like so, you can't say one four seven that. I don't yeah. know if that's written anywhere. That's the standard way of doing it in the US, but I've noticed, oh, yeah. I don't, it, it used to be when we went up to Canadian airspace, it seems like they, individual you know the 1479 yeah. uh, i don't know if they still do that or not but they uh, years ago because it was
4: in our flight manuals for going to the states because we don't do it that way in europe and in the uk but we specifically said in the states you will say your call sign this way yeah. so we all knew to change to the american way of doing it when we came to america okay so uh, i don't went by sounding out those digits individually the guy is obviously you know ticked off trying to upset the controller. Now, why on earth he thought that was going to work on the tower controller? It's a completely different bloke. I, I mean, <laughs> start afresh. All right, right, that guy's upset you. You're going to speak to a different guy now. Shrug your shoulders and... Treat him well. like yeah. your best friend, and you'll get on fine. But why the hell he thought he should carry
2: on this ridiculous... Well, he's probably thinking attitude. that it's like the 1950s and the tower <laughs> controller and the approach controller are sitting right next to each other.
4: Yeah, well, that's another... See, there's another <laughs> fault of his own understanding of how American air traffic works. Yeah. I mean,
2: these guys are probably 50 miles apart. Now, we so, will say, I know. you know, I, I do understand the controllers... Um, need to hear clear the visual approach to runway two because they they're we're switching runways now it's not like this controller only has one runway like my example that i talked about earlier on it's this is he's controlling all these runways and he's giving him an approach to a different runway now so you need to hear the readback of the new runway uh because we want to make sure we're all on the same page you know
4: indeed absolutely But uh, on the other hand, I thought the tower controller was laying it on thick. And, you know, he was handing out all these completely irrelevant comments. uh, And. His own yes. RT discipline was appalling. I agree. So whatever problems this bloke, the pilot had, and I noticed every now and again a different voice appeared up from the aircraft. So whether that yeah. was the first officer, or that was the first officer.
2: He probably looked over at the captain, and the captain is just getting so pissed, you know, and he's going, "Look, hey, <laughs> yes. got it, hey, boss, uh, let me, I got let the me answer. Radio. I got it, I got it. I'm <laughs> flying. I know it's my leg, but I'll go ahead and, and do the radio I work found, too." I yeah. found that
4: quite hilarious, but that tower controller was really. Uh, uh, I, he was being so silly. I had no time for him yeah. at all. But uh, there you go. That's how easily these things can get fired up. It's like road rage. Uh, but w- yeah. we in the air should be above that. I'm yep. sorry.
2: But and we all know that, that there me. are, we, we, we've all, and sadly, <laughs> I, I have to say that there's probably a higher percentage of those kind of personalities out there. That anytime they feel like somebody's telling them they've done something wrong, they don't like that. And they oh, wow. have that reaction where, uh, the, the, like the other person's at fault, you know. Well, no, how do you no, get through <laughs> flight
4: training and, and I don't know. not
2: absorb the fact that you've done something wrong? I don't understand. I think
6: Stephen's getting ready to go there, All
2: right. Well, Stephen, thanks for hanging with us. And we're about to end this whole thing anyway. But thanks for doing almost the entire show with us today on short yeah, notice, I should thank add. You. Thank you very much for that. And uh, it was great to hear your perspective and uh, knowledge regarding uh, the uh, Bombardier product. And, uh, yeah.
6: Go get Mini-Me ready.
2: Yeah, go get Mini-Me uh, ready to go for the party or whatever he's going to do here. And, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, anyway. And grow that beard back. I like to. It. It <laughs> okay. I'll see what I can do, do, do
3: about that. Well, I don't know if he can <laughs>
2: do that. Can are, are you allowed to have a beard at uh you- I, I,
5: I'm not, and yeah. there's probably somebody else in this room that wouldn't appreciate me having one of you.
4: <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah, I understand. You just need to get right. one. You hook over your ears okay. like Father
2: Christmas. Oh, I think hey maybe we're, we're going to see uh, Mini Me, perhaps here. Hey? Yep. You want yeah. to come say hey? Can All you say right. come
7: say hey to the people? They want to see you anyway. Come here. Oh,
2: I'm you mean there's hey. people? Okay, What's can what's, what's his name? Is not really Mini Me. What's his name? Um,
5: oh, say my name is Maverick. Can you can you wave? Can you wave?
2: Maverick.
4: Hi.
3: Hi.
4: I can, but I'll drop the phone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Look at that. I can't tell you which know. one's which. Can you
4: make Stephen
6: full
2: screen? How do I make Stephen full screen? Oh, I can, you can, you the, you can you just click on the left-hand corner of his video uh, uh, yeah. thumbnail. Oh, goodness. No, I can't
6: see?
2: do it. Oh, you're going to put the mouse It's, the it's right there like that.
3: Oh, there it goes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I did it.
5: Oh, thanks. Okay. Sure. Well, bye, y'all. It was good to see y'all. Thank y'all
4: Yeah. He's got almost as much hair as you have.
5: I, I know Very he's, gonna, impressive. he's his fourth haircut tomorrow.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah. Good job. Love right. to see you, Stephen. Bye-bye. Take care, Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, Maverick. Have super. You finish, Great name.
6: Did you want to finish off Greg's? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, Let me finish off Greg's uh, email uh, feedback. Um, Let's see. I've also included a fun little picture I ran across the other day. Without any context, you might look at these engines and think one is an underwing engine and the other is an APU. But the picture uh, is of GE Aerospace's largest and smallest commercial-slash-business jet engines, the largest being the GE9X for use on the Boeing 777X, with a rated thrust of 105,000 uh, pounds, max tested thrust of 134,000. Wow. With the smallest being the HF 120 used on the Honda jet with a rated thrust of 2,095 pounds. Oh, that's so cute. Um, that is cute, isn't it? Yeah. It's rather nice. That's Keep amazing. up the great work, and I hope you're enjoying your retirement, Captain Jeff. I am. You too, Captain Nick, but you've had a little longer to settle into retirement life.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, I I reckon the core of that uh, big uh, jet, what is it? The... uh, GE9X. GE9X. The core of it, which does all the work, is probably that engine. It's that little engine stuck in the middle, and it (laughs) just drives that huge fan at the front. A little bit bigger, (laughs) because you can kind of see the core
2: toward the back there the... Uh, the turbo I Ah, yeah, section, but
4: it think, he yeah. narrows down a bit. Yeah, to it where does. The, yeah, the, you're the work's right. done.
2: Good point. Uh, he <laughs> he finally adds I'll be sending my information for Jeff to park his RV at our house if we he ever ready, finds boy. himself needing a place to stop while in Southwest Ohio. Yes. As always, in Thrust, we trust Greg Peterson. Yeah, Formally. Uh, an employee at Big Ass Fans in Lexington.
6: So guys, County. you've got about 10 minutes. Do you want to do some oh. more or do you want to wrap well, it I up? I want to do
2: one more because I don't okay. know if Bill uh, Aronic is um, still with us or not, but he, okay. I want to get his. Yep. Yep. Uh, so Bill, if you're still there, I told him that we were going to cover it uh, and then we'll go ahead and wrap That's it number up. Number five, yeah? Number five. Um, let's see. UFOs. Listen as pilots describe triangle over Canada. Wait a minute. Ooh. That's not the Bermuda Triangle. No, okay. no it's Canadian. Triangle. It's the Tundra the ca- Triangle. The Tundra Triangle. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's yep, have a here. listen. Okay, great. If you'll uh, put that on on stage, Liz. Thank you very much. And uh, let me hit return. r seventy sixty two. Go ahead. Yeah. Is
7: there any active military uh, airspace just like north of
9: Winnipeg? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing I'm aware of. You said north of Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, no, not right now.
3: Okay. <laughs>
7: okay. Active uh, bright lights. Information three, and they look like they're at like five zero zero or something, just trying to figure it
3: out. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I haven't heard anything. I'll I'll check in with the next sector. That that could be. Oh, you then.
7: Thanks
3: for checking. She's not using our cosign. Around, no. <laughs> around 50,000 feet, roughly. Yeah, exactly. possible
2: pilot devi- yeah, deviation.
7: It looks like it. yeah. it's, hard to, it's hard to say, but yeah, yeah it's being like three to four really bright lights, and they kind of were in like a triangle formation, and then it looks like they're a little dipper for a bit, and then they disappear, and then they come back.
9: Okay. Uh, okay, thanks for that. I'll, I'll just make a note, but yeah, I, I can't think of what that might be.
7: Okay. Doo, 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 One doo. golf picture from time. Go ahead, Victor? Gulf Victor. One Golf Victor, this is a strange question, but are you seeing any uh, flashing lights ahead uh, at high altitude? You just got a report from another aircraft. Uh, we don't see anything yet. Okay, thank you. They reported them as uh, north of Yankee Whiskey Gulf, uh, which is the city off your 11 o'clock position for about 90 miles. So I guess just let me know if you see anything. Copy that so if we see anything, I will let you know. Thank okay. you. Hey, Winnipeg, North Canada, 786. Yeah, 7086, go ahead. Aircraft, uh, 12 o'clock, same altitude. Is that one ours? Uh, it's
3: a flare plate.
7: Sorry, uh, a flare flight 600? Yeah, Tech Canada, 786. uh, do you see these flights at 12 o'clock? see something uh, flashing lights, uh running uh, left 30, Flair uh, 600. Yeah, forming triangles, and then flying away and coming back. <laughs> the light is coming uh, towards us, slightly uh, above above Flair 600. Uh, more than 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, sir, 6 Take for 786. 7086, do you have any traffic out there? Uh,
9: No, I, I had one other report uh, Ten minutes ago, from a morningstar flight uh, east of Regina, uh reported the same thing. Uh, her best guess was was around somewhere around flight level five zero zero, and uh, thought it might be somewhere north of of Winnipeg. Um, so yeah, where, so or do do you have a guess as to what you might think the altitude is?
7: Hard to tell, because uh, the evening. I I'd say she's. Probably pretty accurate, but they keep forming up in a triangle, and then yeah, it's
9: pretty odd. Okay, yeah, no, that's the second report, then, and yeah, there's no there's no active airspace, military space, anything like that we're aware of. Uh, I honestly have no idea what that might be.
3: Oh, good. Okay, I'm gonna.
2: <laughs> it's quite a long um, audio segment uh, or or uh, clip. Uh, we'll have the link to it in the show notes, but it, it just goes on and on. They're talking about weird things and blinking and that kind of thing. And in the article, they talk about um, the possibility of it being, and more and more so. You were, we're hearing more and more about these things lately. And I think it probably, I don't think it's a coincidence that the uh, proliferation of uh, the low-earth uh, orbit uh, leo uh, satellites out there thousands and thousands like of these starlink. things like starlink yeah um, are are probably starting to you know give more and more of these uh, illusions and uh, they uh, they linked to a, um, a this guy did a 3d uh, you know, former video game programmer created a 3d simulation of the satellites Earth and sun. To back up his conclusion this is what he thinks that they're probably seeing and so let me uh, share this with you um and share and if you'll add that to the stage liz and uh is it there okay and uh, so you can take this thing and kind of rotate the earth that's the uh, uh, northern u.s and southern canada border and then as i'm rotating the earth towards us here, you see that the sun and then you see these, um, these satellites that are up there and you can kind of see how the angle of the sun hits it in a certain way and how that they can appear to be triangles and flashing and that kind of thing. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, again, it's just, uh, it's just what this person thinks is, is is happening, and I tend to agree. And I've we've talked Nick and I have talked about and we're asked about this all the time. And, and even yeah, even back you know a couple of decades or more, I I, I remember seeing especially it happened at night uh, usually and um, or in the middle of the morning, very very dark, uh, stars all over the place, and then it's usually associated with something along the horizon. At least in my experience where you see this light doing really weird motion and blinking and everything else. And then finally you realize that it's probably some kind of a like a, a planet or a satellite or something out there that's reflecting. And, you know, it's getting uh, diffused with the uh, atmospheric gases of Earth and all that kind of stuff. Either that or it's a reflection in your glass, uh, something inside your cockpit that has a little tiny little light that's, you know, reflecting off what you're looking through (laughs) that's happened to me as well. And I felt really, really stupid. Um, but, uh, that's my take on, on this phenomenon. Oh, indeed.
4: And, um, when you've got bright lights in a, in a black background uh, and you're staring at them, your, your brain does really weird things. Your eye, you might think you're tracking it and, your head is stationary and nothing's moving and all of a sudden this light starts to drift off. Well, that's just the fact that your eyes are generating an apparent movement because there's nothing around that light source to uh, fix your, it, its position. Is this the thing uh, you were talking about in your they, plane tail? Uh, something similar to that I was talking about my plain tail, but uh, one of the things the doctors used to do was put us into uh, a blacked-out box, mm. and uh, they would generate all sorts of feelings of disorientation by turning the box, spinning the box, etc. But one thing they would start off with is they would just put off a uh, a light source, uh, and that's the only thing you could see in the whole box. And they wouldn't move anything, and they say, "Which way is that light moving?" and You know, guys who go, oh, it's moving left. Is it speeding up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going faster now. Uh, Tell me when it goes up. Oh, oh, it's going up now. (laughs) And uh, it's not like the doctors were making them think this. It's just that the brain and the eyes uh, aren't very good at giving you an absolute position of what they're looking at when there's no reference. Around them, and they're looking into a dark sky. And it was just uh, to illustrate. And we were all sitting outside listening to the intercom and giggling at our idiot friends, only <laughs> to find out that the same thing <laughs> happened to us when we climbed in the box. That's
2: funny. It's good entertainment. Pass yeah, the popcorn indeed. and beer.
6: Yes, quite. <laughs> time to wrap it up,
2: gently. All right. It is time to wrap it up. Thank you, Miss Liz. Oh, boy. Wow. Great show. Really nice having Stephen Ivey on with us today. And it was um, it was
4: fun. I haven't seen him for a long time.
2: Yeah. And we need to reenact that uh, that picture that uh we were presenting oh, earlier yeah, uh, the three of us uh, at a bar somewhere enjoying a nice glass or two of ale. Yes, um, we
4: did that a few times in Atlanta, didn't
2: we? That yes, we, yes we have. Yes, and and we expect to do it even more into <laughs> the future. And uh so uh, we always like to point you to our website, Uh Again, you all, you know the drill. It's all kinds of good stuff there. And uh, you should check yeah, it naked out. Naked women. Well, yes, of course. Well. <laughs> Uh, you'd have to have the special password for that one. And, uh, the uh, after dog. Yeah, yeah, and, and if you have the special ta- password, uh, dog. Uh, you can uh, f- actually see uh, pictures of Jeff's play area as well. Okay, uh, let's <laughs> continue on. A couple uh, of email addresses. The email, email addresses. Let's throw some email addresses up there. rv at airlinepilotguy.com. That's uh, if you want to add uh, some data to uh, Jeff's Mooch docking database. Um and uh, also, if you're interested in having a meetup sometime, uh, like maybe in the Atlanta area on the twenty fourth of February or the 9th of March, please use that um, email address and then in the subject line, if you'll help us out by putting what it is exactly uh, that you're you're writing in about uh, that helps us uh, kind of filter all the messages. And uh, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com is the way you send feedback to us. And there you go. All right. Um, We're also on social media, the social means, Captain Nick.
4: Uh, yeah, I, if you are if you like Facebook and you don't mind being uh, inundated with adverts, uh, <laughs> then search airline pilot me all one word. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, or possibly you could go to X, uh, previously uh, known, <laughs> aka Twitter, at APG Crews. Our handle there, and very similar on the, the Instas on the Instagrams where I try and remember to post the artwork. I was a bit late last time so apologies for that apg crew all one word again uh, and of course we appear on youtube here we are that wonderful platform uh, which doesn't have any adverts at all i lie like a cheap Changy watch <laughs> and that's
2: uh, youtube.com forward slash airline pilot i don't get adverts on youtube but i, I you have probably uh, YouTube pay a youtube premium i do <laughs> and man it's worth every, every penny let me tell you. In oh, fact, occasionally I'll forget, I'll like it, get on a website or whatever and then go to a YouTube link and it doesn't notice that I'm logged in or because I'm not. And all of a sudden I see all these horrible ads. I'm thinking, how can any oh, of you terrible. out there stand Some that? Some
4: of the last 20 seconds. I don't like, I mean, uh-uh. I'm not, not I've doing got it. 20 seconds of my life I can waste. I'm about to die.
2: I need to use every oh, second. If I'm going to spend money on anything, uh, I'm going to spend it on something odd. i don't have to see hello
6: Hillel? hello
2: Hillel, i don't know where hello Hillel... oh wait oh we see climbed out of the artwork now. I, I think so yeah hello <laughs>
6: showering off that tell us about slack it. can you
2: tell yeah, us about slack man
3: okay but i'm
2: dripping wet all right and uh looks like you got something on your shoulder from that pile of poop <laughs> that was in that cover art <laughs> oh, don't get too close to me okay yeah, come here. Poo. Ugh, tell us about slack
11: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K sierra lima alpha charlie kilo at airline or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at hillel and i'll send you an invitation that's hillel spelled hotel india 11 echo one and see you in slack
2: thanks a lot hillel oh thanks <laughs> for the though. warning <laughs> all yeah. right yeah. <sighs> all right oh liz thank you so much she reappears. Yeah, great job, Liz. Um, yeah, we have been I'm listening back. to her the entire time. She's right been indeed. with us the entire time, and we do appreciate that. And thanks for all the work you do, Liz. And um, let's see, what else was there? Anything else we wanted to talk about before I we think you wrap covered it?
6: up? Pretty much
2: everything.
4: All right. I know Steve. Steve has disappeared without uh, uploading his recording.
2: So uh, need to get well, that's okay. I think I'll I got it uh, on the uh, the primary. Recording oh. method So we're good It was
6: great having him on
2: Yeah it was It was And uh, thanks to uh, those Who are in our live chat room Or what we call Our live audience
4: Is there anyone left Oh Neil Lamb Was there He was yeah. late Arriving yeah, Late parade we, Neil It was no Go to Go to the defaulter's room
2: <laughs> And it's time now To tell you Wishing you clear skies Unlimited visibility And tailwinds Talons Douglas Bye bye See you next time.
3: Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline
6: pilot guy.
3: beep.
10: Good day.
12: Such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG, I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats. Airline pilot guy, I fly up. I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine. Airline, not a guy. i fly, flying.